Today's podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be given legal or medical advice. This is Chad and Mark with I Want to Know and uh, our new friend, David Harder. Um, he is a bit of a psychedelic expert, I would say. How's it going, David? Great. Thanks for having me here. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, I met you for coffee through uh, um, an app that we found online, Shopper. That was very cool. I, I think we talked about it in the last podcast about uh, finding new people to have on the show. And uh, we're very excited to hear what you have to say about uh, the psychedelic world and what you know of it. Um, explaining maybe some of the um, the trips, the, what would you call it earlier? Journeys. Journeys, that's, that's it. it. The journeys. So uh, maybe give us a little bit about your history and, and how you got into uh, learning about psychedelics. Wow. Um, yeah. Been raised in churches. My dad was a pastor in a church. Yeah. Uh, so spiritual pursuits basically all my life. Went to Bible college not far from here. Cool. Um, met my wife there. Ended up in um, teaching in Bible colleges and doing all kinds of stuff in the Christian world, churches, etc., etc. And in the process, uh, the spiritual... Uh, journey continued yep. with um, discovering through a friend of a friend kind of thing and going to a very intentional um, medicine journey, they called it. I didn't really know what it was at the time. Yeah, And then discovering the power of what that did for me spiritually and then really diving deep and researching and discovering what this really was about. So what, what would, I guess, encourage you to even try uh, a psychedelic? Great question. Because the stigma around it is pretty thick. It is, especially coming from a Christian background. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of started moving away from the church, a lot of the dogma stuff before that, personally, my wife and I both. Uh, and then when I discovered it was a friend that had really pushed it in terms of what it was doing for her. Mm -hmm. She just showed me like what kind of awarenesses she was having, what kind of things were changing for her, and... Um, I was very skeptical at first. I didn't believe it because drugs were drugs. They were all the same to me. Right. I mean, heroin, fentanyl, LSD, it's all the same stuff. Yeah. I had no clue what they were. Um, didn't even drink alcohol until I was 35. So, oh, wow. Um, so was really it, sorry to cut you out, alcohol first or uh, psychedelics? Yeah, we were introduced to alcohol through <laughs> other <laughs> Bible college professors when I was teaching at Nice. One of the Bible calls. Nice glass in, of wine. In, and, yeah, yeah, well, we put it in mugs so the neighbors wouldn't see it. Kind of <laughs> stuff. So did you want red or white coffee? It's, nice. Uh, so that was a beginning of, you know, kind of breaking some of the taboos. Um, and then, yeah, this came along and it was a lot of skepticism. I asked a lot of questions and I was doubtful. And finally, I saw what it was doing for her and her friends and different people that I saw it working in and decided to, okay, I'll give it a try. So what kind of stuff was it doing for her and her friends? Like what, what benefits were they getting out of it? Um, what I saw at the time was like self-confidence, awareness, um, introspective, you know, this is what I need to be doing with my life, changes in even career type choices and things that were negative behaviors that they were correcting. Wow. Not just... Um, just going off on a <laughs> escapism trip, yeah. But actually, very intentional spiritual journey work, deep work. 
I think I told you when we had coffee there the other day that uh, I have some experience with LSD in my youth, and it was mm-hmm. 100% recreational, and I, I wasn't mm-hmm. looking for spiritual growth or, or anything like that. And it, it was just fun. It wasn't, it wasn't scary or bad or mm-hmm. um, uh, detrimental to me that I felt mm-hmm. in any way at the time. Uh, so what's the difference between the, you know, the stupid me at, at 1920 dropping acid and running around Surrey compared to uh, what you guys are doing now? Uh, so much of it, there's t- two words that they use a lot in psychedelic community called set and setting. Mm-hmm. And one of these, one of the first, well, the set is what is your intention going in? So you drop acid at a party and you're having fun and it just kind of enhances your visuals and you you know, things get really fun and crazy and wild and that's, that's your set and your setting is the party. You know, yeah. there's music pumping and everybody's dancing. And so what is you, what is your experience typically going to be? Just an enhancement of your setting. Yeah. Whereas if your set is, I need to go in and discover more about myself, or I need to discover a truth, or I need to find some breakthrough in whatever addiction or PTSD or depression, anxiety, these things that we deal with all the time, it completely changes the projectile Mm -hmm. of the journey. And then your setting, creating that space, which is really conducive to the outcome. So it's not a dance party. It's not whatever happens, happens. Mm -hmm. It's very much guiding the experience. Because I see it like you're strapping yourself to a rocket ship. Yeah, yeah. Where's your rocket That's ship how pointed? That's sometimes. <laughs> yeah, where is it pointed? It's going to go there. Right. Just a lot faster. Wow. So if you're pointed in a really directed direction, like this is my intention, this is what my outcome is going to be, it's going to get you there. Yeah. Nine times out of ten. So if you're you're planning to go on a journey, um, is this like trying to overcome something, you know, like say PTSD or anxiety or depression? Is there some kind of therapy or talk that takes place before you guys take the medicine? For sure. There's a lot of precautions that we have. There's some counterindications with other medic- medicines that people are on. Yeah. So if you're on antidepressants or on anti-anxiety pills or other... SSRIs and a bunch of different things the doctors are giving you. Yeah. Highly, highly suge- <laughs> recommended that you know what you're on. Yeah. And that you know what it's going to do if you take psychedelic medicines. Yeah. Because they can go negative. A lot of them interact with the same receptors in our brains. Okay. So if you attack those with both SSRIs and, say, psilocybin or with MDMA, you're going to end up with some trouble. Yeah. There's a there's an actual website out there. I was actually just talking to someone about an hour ago about this that you can go on and it'll tell you all of uh, your pharmaceutical medications and how that crosses over with yes. other options you might be taking. I don't yeah. what was it called? Jeez, um, of course it's out of my mind right now. There are websites out there mm-hmm. though that you can go check out that will offer that information to you though. DanceSafe.org is one of them. They do Dance a lot safe? of testing. They do a lot of... There's a video on there that shows you what MDMA does in your brain, which is brilliant. Really well done. Oh, that's so cool. What's that again? Dance DanceSafe, safe. all one word, .org, O-R-G. Are they the ones that hand out the drug testing kits? Yes. At the, yeah, yep. yeah, that's an interesting story they have. They do a lot of harm reduction for festivals yeah. and stuff. I met a guy that uh, when we were doing Submit, I won't say his name because he's got a... Um, kind of a high-ranking job, but he, he talked about this at length... Um, uh, when we were training, where that was his passion was to go to parties and nightclubs and stuff like that, and educate people mm-hmm. on like, oh no, don't don't smoke pot and do acid at the same time because this is what's yeah. going to happen, um, you know, and don't do more than this your first time and all that. And he he really truly and and back then I actually thought he was a little bit nuts, but now I see where <laughs> the um, 
you know, where Canada is going with legalizing marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this with Paul Stamets moving to Canada. I think there's something up with that that, mm-hmm. that might be a change in the future. We still have uh, Trudeau in power for another two years. And, and uh, if he's going to legalize marijuana, what else is he going to do in the next two years? Mm-hmm. We know nothing, but, you know, there's possibilities for it. Yep. Uh, so, I, you know, when I did... Uh, um, I'm going to call them drugs because that's what it was when I was a kid. And I, and I hate that that word. But for me, that's what it was at the time. It was illegal. It was, um, we knew nothing about it. I had no history of what it was going to do. I just, you know, someone mm-hmm. stuck a piece of paper on my tongue and, and said, hang on tight because this is going to be a wild ride. And, and that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um that we ha- we had no guidance. No one told me yeah. to what to expect or how what was going on. That was much more dangerous than what's going on with yeah. uh, marijuana or or what uh, people that run these journeys do. Right? That yeah. that you know it's it's very um, guided. It's very diligent. Everybody understands what's going on before the process starts. Yeah. 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 Dosage again, same thing. You yeah. got to know what you're taking and how much. Yeah. What is it going to do? The different levels of psychedelic experience, knowing that if you take three grams of mushrooms or 200 micrograms of LSD, what that's going to look like yeah. an hour and a half from now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now, how relative is that to each individual? A very good question. It's very relative to each individual. So knowing yourself, too, if you're really sensitive to even Tylenol or alcohol or other things chances are you're going to be more sensitive to psychedelics as well. So you're going to want to take a lower dosage. And yeah, or just start, start slower. slower. Yeah. yeah, don't jump in at 10 grams and go nuts. Um, <laughs> so are there sort of standards based on what you're trying to experience? Yeah, like if you've listened to any Terrence McKenna videos, uh, the late Terrence McKenna did a lot of work on the, the hero dose, of yeah, five yeah. grams and total darkness and silence. Didn't he talk about being on top of a tree the first time he did? Those uh, Stamets. That yeah. was Stamets, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. then a thunderstorm was rolling and thunder, yeah. thunder and lightning. So he did like 10 or 12 milligrams was, of psilocybin and climbed to a top of a tree as a thunderstorm brewed above yeah. him. Yeah, what he just had epic. a bag of shrooms that he ate. He had no idea how much they were. <laughs> That's right. That'd be crazy. And he basically came face-to-face with his stammering problem and changed his life. That's right. He overcame the stammering. um, uh, What's the other word for it? Stuttering. Stuttering Mm -hmm. um, uh, issue just went away. Mm -hmm. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's still slightly there, he'll tell you, but it basically conquered it because it showed him why he was doing it, what the fears were and insecurities. He's devoted his life to mushrooms. All edible and all legal. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> sort of, <laughs> sort of, yeah. But he has a very big legal, like he's, he does, um, I forget the name of the company, but you can buy all kinds of lion's mane and different yeah. mushrooms from Cordyceps and yeah. Turkey Tail. I listened to quite a few podcasts with him, and he's a pretty amazing mm-hmm. guy and really diligent in his studies. And yeah. he's not suggesting everyone goes out and drops uh, no. mushrooms and goes on trips by themselves by any means. The, the hero dose is, is mm-hmm. not the way to do it, right? So maybe explain a little bit of the difference between, uh, say, what LSD, MDMA, or psilocybin would do or feel to somebody. Um, LSD's gotten a really bad rap. That's the one that they really decided to demonize because it was hitting the streets in um, the early 70s, late 60s. Mm-hmm. And so the big bill that was passed was largely due to the LSD stigmatization. Yeah. So today that's the one that really gets a bad, you know, you say mushrooms or you say ayahuasca or you say some of these other medicinal uh, plants and people are kind of, yeah, 
they're not really into it, but they're not so against it. But you mentioned Alistine right away, the back goes up. Yeah. Because of the government and religious castigation of that is a bad drug. Uh, because there was a case of somebody jumped off a balcony. Yeah. So they have this, this story and it created a lot of headlines. Um, LSD is a longer trip. Yeah. So you take LSD, you better have a full day. Yeah. You know, it's a 12 hour experience. That was mine too. You drop yeah. at six o'clock at night and you're not going to sleep till the next morning for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And again, with all of this stuff, know what it is you're getting and where you're getting it from and that it's been tested. Like yeah. the dance safe, get the test kits. If you're going to experiment with these things, A, it's illegal, so I don't recommend it. But B, if you're going to do it in a place that is illegal, like Jamaica or wherever, yeah. <laughs> know that you don't just have something off the streets because it could be anything but. Right now, Shambhala, you guys are familiar with the festival that's happening oh, in yeah. Nelson? It's a I've big, big festival. What is it? Shambhala. It's a big outdoor like rave. thousands and thousands of people. Okay. Um, and they just posted yesterday that all the drugs that they're being tested and all the things that are in the drugs that are not what they're being sold as. And there's a whole list of them right now. Really? So this stuff is being done all the time. Today, there's going to be kids in the psych crisis tent wondering what the heck they took. So are the Canadian laws a little easier to deal with that then? I've heard in America with the drug testing kits, they're considered drug paraphernalia. Even just offering testing can void the insurance of the festival because you're admitting that there will be narcotics being sold. Yeah, I don't know exactly. I can't speak to the exact laws, but I know Shambhala has a huge psych crisis tent and a testing kit with a computer tester. So people can walk in there. If you're there listening to this, (laughs) get your your stuff tested because a lot of stuff that they're selling right now at that festival and many others you can legally in Canada walk in with no obligation. You don't have to give ID. You can just bring your stuff, your white powder, your pills, whatever, and they will put it in the computer, analyze it completely, and tell you exactly what it is, and they won't take it from you. They just give it right back, whatever it is, yeah. and you can choose to do with it as you will. Yeah. So it's it's not, um, yeah, the festival isn't being affected as far as I know. I don't, well, that's good. Hopefully that doesn't change. Yeah. yeah. It would be really silly to pass a law where you couldn't do that, like... Well, unfortunately, trying to fix things, you have to admit that there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, where a lot of it comes from. I mean, it's like the legal um, needle dispensary kind of stuff that they're doing downtown. People see that as, well, we're condoning drug use. Right, yeah. Going back to the shooting gallery, illegal. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. I know when I was security in Vancouver's Chinatown, it would have been good to have those uh, needle exchanges Mm -hmm. there. The amount of needles I picked up as a security guard walking around downtown Vancouver, uh, I'd fill up a five-gallon pail every shift. Like it was, uh, there was thousands of people in that area that were doing quite regularly. And Mm -hmm. and maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, the the five-gallon pail. But everywhere I went, I found needles, right? And you you do a night shift and you got to open the, the the store owners are coming in in the morning. You can't have open needles sitting in their doorways and Mm -hmm. on their handles and the ledges in front of their stores. And so that was one of the things. We had to go around, fill them all up. And we didn't even have proper containers to dispose of them back then, or at least the company I worked for didn't give me them. um, And I didn't (laughs) know enough about it. So, you know, 
we're, we're not stopping people from doing this stuff by saying you can't do it, mm-hmm. right? When we had prohibition for alcohol, it yeah. stopped nothing. We, we now say you can't do, well, Canada, you can do cannabis, but um, lots of places are saying you can't do it. It doesn't stop it. It doesn't take mm-hmm. it away. All it does it just is goes put, underground. It puts it in the hands of maybe not very um, moral people, mm-hmm. where if the government's in control, we can uh, monitor it, test it, make sure it's good. We can find out what the medicinal purposes are behind it. Um, and we can also have... Um, therapy and treatment for people mm-hmm. that do get addicted or you know are harmed by it like how do we how do we fix this problem i don't know if having the government in control though necessarily <laughs> eliminates that like you look at cigarettes there's probably a very good reason why there aren't cigarette testing kits that you can get because nobody wants to know what's in that or for that matter of fact like subway bread testing kits yeah <laughs> i i just saw a thing uh on the the Facebook, it was saying that it was an ad from probably the 50s or maybe the 60s, probably the 50s, saying, you know, um, uh, most doctors choose to smoke camel. And back then, I think the cigarettes were very different than what they are today. There probably wasn't as much chemicals and preservatives in the tobacco. That's a uh, Edward Bernays callback. I think we do one of those at least every uh, every podcast. <laughs> yeah, mentioned something I saw on Facebook. and uh, No, uh, the, the Edward Bernays, uh, you know, four out of five doctors agree. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I know. I, I I'm curious to see what happens in the future. Quite honestly, I uh, well maybe there'll be someone that disputes this. Maybe even my wife. I don't feel like I have any major problems that I need to overcome or <laughs> dig deeper in that that I need this medicine for. And and if I was to do it, it would be for entertainment purposes. It would be for um, just to see what it's like. So. Well, I love the word recreation because it's recreation. Yeah. And so it can be taken badly. I mean, people right now, like again, Shambhala, for example, there's people taking all kinds of medicines. Some are using it respectfully and some aren't. Yeah. Some are using it as an escape. They pop a handful of stuff. They don't even know what they're taking. Yeah. Others are taking stuff very intentionally to really recreate beautiful experiences. Wow. That's a good definition of it. So the dancing and stuff. I used to be very judgmental, but it's like some of these guys are just, they're just having a great time in life. Yeah. And so we go to the bar, we have a beer, we have four. You know, why? Yeah. Just because we're thirsty? I don't think so. Uh, No, it's there to recreate something. Exactly. A feeling or an emotion. And so these, which are natural substances, most of them, many of them, and they can be done in very respectful ways. Yeah. Or they can be used as an escape mechanism. Yeah. Like alcohol. So speaking of natural, so we obviously know mushrooms and cannabis are fairly natural, or they are totally natural. There's yep. the, they just grow wild on yep. the planet. Um, MDMA, mm-hmm. what, uh, what's the kind of basis behind that or the process to get to MDMA? Um, I think there, my, my conjecture, this is my opinion, is that the MDMA is becoming the first forefront in medical research with MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, because it is kind of the closest thing to white coat medicine that we have in this whole psychedelic world. Okay. And it's not truly a psychedelic. It's more of an empathogen. So it opens up the empathy. The heart opens up the feel goods and the yeah. loving everybody. Yeah. And it's a great tool for therapy because it lowers your inhibitions to speak your truth, to okay. speak what's going on. And it, that whole fight, flight, or freeze thing is lowered. Yeah. And it really removes your filter. Sorry about that. My dog's still in the house and very mad about what's going outside. <laughs> One day we'll have a real studio and not be doing this in my kitchen. Well, he's just agreeing with our points, I think. I think so, yeah. He's tried MDMA, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so what's what's the, the, the medicinal basis or the how is the MDMA made or created? Well, it's a lab. It's a chemical. Okay. So 
done. I my history might be a little sketchy, but around 1920s it was it was discovered, okay, uh, created in a lab, kind of put on the side. It was I can't remember the exact use. They were trying to discover a medicine for some medical thing, and it didn't really work for what they were trying to create it for. So it was put aside, and then brought back in I believe 50s, 1950s, 1960s. Andrew Shulgin, Annie and Andrew, or Andrew, sorry, Annie and Sasha Shulgin in California used it extensively in therapy. Okay. Um, and they really brought it back. There's other people too that were instrumental in the whole process. Cool. Um, but it, then, of course, then it got it made illegal through the whole process of the U.S. illegalizing yeah. all these substances, the international psychedelic, you know, list of drugs that were put on Schedule One in the U.S. So now then it was, the research basically stopped until MAPS picked it up again. Yeah. So how much of the, maybe you don't know this, I'm just throwing out questions. How much of Canadian law when it comes to uh, drugs and alcohol um, do you think was just adopted by what the U.S. was doing? Pretty much. It's, that's, yeah. That's my opinion. I mean, there's an international um, law that was passed by all, I forget the list of countries, but international, almost every civilized country agreed to this international law that would criminalize all these drugs. Wow. So is there still a schedule process in Canada? Do we have yeah, we, our schedule is a little more lenient. Like, for example, MDMA, uh, psilocybin, the magic mushroom ingredient, LSD. A lot of these substances are Schedule 3 here in Canada, and they're Schedule 1 in the U.S. So they're okay. more stringent in the U.S. than here. And you were saying that that's based, the difference between Schedule 1 and Schedule 3 is just basically how much time you spend in jail. So if you're Yeah, there's more to it than that, but that's basically what it comes down to for the end user. Yeah. Well, the determination, yeah. it's based on medical mm-hmm. applications, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. yeah. Schedule 1 is no medical use, whereas mm-hmm. Schedule 3, it's like, well, there's more leniency there. Well, like everything that ends with cane. <laughs> <laughs> All that useful coke out there. Yeah. 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 So maybe walk through maybe one of your journeys or a journey of someone else. What it, what it look, let, let's start with, uh, uh, say, a mushroom journey. Um, what, what does that look like when someone decides, yeah, I'm going to go meet somebody that will help me through, uh, you know, let's say overcome depression or anxiety. Um, how, how does it start? Where does it go? What's the process look like? Yeah, I mean, first of all, again, disclaimer, I'm not recommending and endorsing illegal use of drugs. So... Yeah. There's countries where this is legal, yeah. and there's substances which actually are not on the schedule yet, and they're very almost identical to magic mushrooms, for example, or LSD. There's a 1P LSD that is not scheduled yet, well, so there, it's legal. There's like that old thing that everyone comes back to. There's some plant that you can buy at Home Depot that essentially is peyote or something like that, some cactus, and it's yeah. literally you can go down to your local garden store and pick up. Yeah, because it's a beautiful cactus. I've seen it in people's homes just recently. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, you don't know what that is, do you? <laughs> Cut that up and brew it. Apparently, yeah. they're, in, they're, they're uh, endangered. San Pedro. Yes, yeah. Apparently, it's an endangered cactus because yeah. it takes like, something like 30 years to yeah. get to the point where it's like a couple inches yeah. tall. Yeah. But yeah, it takes quite a while. The, the buttons are actually even more. The uh, mescaline-containing uh, name fails me. Um, but yeah, there's, those take a long time to grow. Yeah, and so they're hard to f- harder and harder to find. Getting over harvested, yep. not given the time to grow. Well, and it's and what is it? It's uh, for the religious ceremonies. They can't be uh, mass produced. They have to occur in nature. So you have that issue too, right? Where you just can't go down and have your uh, have your tent set up where you've got a huge grow operation for uh, cactuses. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So back to yeah. the uh, yes. the journey. What does it look like? Yeah. Um, a lot of it deter- is determined by the set and setting. 
So what are you doing it for? Yeah. Like I've had, I've known people that have done journeys that were really about kind of a life hack. Like I'm kind of stuck. I just really don't feel like my life is going where it should be going. I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. There's no big deal that's wrong. Yeah. But I just feel like I need to wake up. And so that that's what the journey's about. And then often, like I call it the teacher, will show up and show you what you need to see, yeah. not what you go in looking for. Yeah. So, for example, you might go in really, you know, I've got this relationship that's a problem. It's not working. It's not serving me. And or I've got these issues. We go in with these stories that we've created, right? Yeah. And often, like ayahuasca, uh, the one ayahuasca journey I experienced was so much about walking into with my story I needed to get clarity on this story. Yeah. And within 10 minutes of the teacher showing up in this med- medicine space, it's like that story did, didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it was so many more important things to work on. Wow. That it just faded in the background. And she's like, no, 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 there's a whole world to say. We need to talk about these other things that are more important. Yeah. And so we ended up spending this this whole journey in this this other space of, and then coming out of that going, yeah, why was I so worried about that? It's really gone. It's yeah. done. It's history. Just focusing on the wrong thing yeah. in your life. And so, yeah. you know, whether it's positive or negative, if you're focusing on the wrong thing, you're just not going to move forward in, yep. in your actual life journey. And others come out with, I'm in a dead-end job. I need to quit my job. Wow. <laughs> so we encourage people not to make any big decisions the day after. <laughs> I can imagine, <laughs> Take <yeah>. a week. <laughs> yeah. Um, relationships, understanding, you know, it, looking at the other person going, it's their fault, it's their fault, and then going to medicine, you discover that, oh, my goodness, yeah. I'm the asshole here. Yeah. So those kinds of things can really be huge awarenesses. And then just the spiritual awakening of the biggest thing for me, whatever medicine it is, is that understanding the connectedness, that we are not, you know, these bodies are the limitations and we're held within this container. Yeah. But the more you go deeper in the medicine and understand the metaphysical realities of where we are and then how that ties in with what the scientific discoveries are happening Yeah. of how, you know, we break down our molecular structure. There's really a lot of space there Yeah. and break down what actually isn't space and it's vibration, like gross generalization of it, but it, it really, we're just this vibrational reality, all of us Yeah. and getting in the medicine and you, you, you start to actually see that in a real tangible way. And that has huge impact on everything. Like, why all the divisions? Why the? Why do I get angry? Right, driving down the deer foot. Yeah. Like, this is silly. That's just another yeah, manifestation just... of reality trying to get to his workplace too. Who just doesn't understand his own temper. Yeah. You know, so understanding those kind of things in a new way is just a constantly evolving reality check on why do I get so caught up in these still silly little stories? Yeah. They hold us back. I think it's a massive thing. We see it on social media at length and that people will sit and rant, like you said, about someone cutting them off on the deer foot. And I almost mm-hmm. died. And mm-hmm. well, you're in a car going 100 kilometers an hour. You're almost dying all the time. Yeah, you're almost <laughs> dying all the time. And uh, it's almost like people are looking for reasons to be angry or to be upset or to be offended. And then they just use social media to go off when they're not really mm-hmm. self-actualizing what, what's going on in their life. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, social media, I guess the lifestyles in general these days, it's all about a lack of empathy, though, isn't it? Because everything is just things, whether it's people, experiences that those people are having. It's, they're just other things out there. There's no, there's no consequence. 
if you if you walk to someone on the street and start swearing and yelling at them, there's a consequence to that. Yeah. In a car or behind a computer screen, that's nothing. There's it's, no consequence. Yeah, you might as well really. yell at the television, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no, there's no uh, emotional benefit of doing it either. Like what, screaming at your windshield or your computer <laughs> screen or well, especially as a society like no one that you're screaming at cares what you're feeling and you don't care what they're feeling so you just kind of get in this like throwing empty shit at each other for no reason alonzo bone uh, comic that uh he, he's quite famous but he uh, has this old bit where he says uh, do you know who cares less about your problems than you do <laughs> everybody else <laughs> and, and that's really the truth yeah. right unless it's something massive the only i would say caveat that i've seen to that social media thing is um, uh, there's this Airdrie Confessions page where you can go on anonymously and say something. Yeah. And there's been a few people going on there saying that they wanted to commit suicide or harm themselves. And then people, even the nasty people, stood up and go, "No, dude, don't do that. Just if you need, here's my number. Call me. You know, no. message me on here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let that happen." Finally, uh, crack that empathy. Yeah, Fire. but it's death. It's yeah. knowing that they may be responsible for somebody's death. Like, we all know when we're being assholes. We all know when we're being mean. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, on social media, you know, to your family, to your uh, to your coworkers, like, yeah. it's, not, it's not a shock that people think you're an asshole if you're an asshole, right? Even the asshole knows that he is. Yeah. That uh, having that self-awareness and going, yeah, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to... Mm-hmm hurt people or make them mad or offend them. I just want to find a way to make people's lives better. And that's what it sounds like this medicine does, that it, it gives people self-awareness and it puts them in a, uh, just a, a happier, um, more aware place in their life. Mm-hmm. Well, there's different understandings or, or perspectives on what the medicine does. Uh, some people feel it just taps into your subconscious, mm-hmm. more the more atheist uh, leaning people yeah. would say it's just a really good way of tapping into what's in your brain. Yeah. Um, to me, I see it something beyond, and that's where it gets into the more spiritual side, where I believe the medicines were given to us as almost like an antenna, yeah. where it opens up the funnel for information to come in from source. So source you call God, Christianity, obviously. Yeah. Um, people, you know, the Buddhists would see it as you know, universe. That's right. Universal intelligence. Yeah. You know, whatever that is for you. The greater thing. I believe it opens up that channel yeah. for communication to happen. And it can be life transformational. So does that mean we're we're talking with the drugs as a uh is it a conduit to the religion or is it the religion itself? <laughs> it's a great question. I wish I had the answer for yeah. <laughs> Um, I just feel like there's something very, very spiritual about these medicines, especially the real natural ones, ayahuasca, mushrooms. Yeah. Um, Those they, have a big peyote. place in actual religions too, don't they? They do. Yeah. In centuries, they've been central to many religions. I believe even in Christianity, if you look back far enough, I believe some of the experiences that were written about in the Bible were direct results of psychedelic connection. One of the big ones they're talking about Moses and the burning bush that they believe yeah. it was the acacia bush mm-hmm. and that that's super high in DMT. Mm-hmm. And so if he was breathing in the smoke of a burning bush and, mm-hmm. and DMT is called the, the God drug by a lot of people, mm-hmm. that that would give him a, um, a hallucination yeah, or a direct link or get him yeah. into that that realm. That uh, well, psilocybin uh, mushrooms or this, uh, what is, what is, no, what's it called? The, uh, the red and white one. Uh, 
We talked about this. Oh, did you guys already? I'm going to eat a miscarry. Yeah, Yeah, I want to hear a little bit about this story. So maybe you can describe the whole Christmas and mushroom (laughs) connection. There's a story, and I'm not sure how much I ascribe to it, but it is very interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And I've talked to people who've actually gone and picked these. And so they're red and white. They have the dots on them. So they look a lot like Christmas. Yeah. And um, or like the Smurf houses, yeah, right? little so Smurf <laughs> houses. So the, the the story is, squirrels will pick them and carry them up the tree, and that's how we got the Christmas decorations for the trees. Okay. Now the the reindeer used to eat them, or they'd still do in like Siberia. Yeah. And so then they'd be tripping, <laughs> and their urine people would drink the urine of the reindeer. It's still full of psilocybin. It's still full of psilocybin. It goes yeah. straight through. So they would be getting the high experience, probably seeing the reindeers flying <laughs> on the high from <laughs> the, the Amanita Muscaria. Yeah. So there's all these, and it gets into all the, you know, gifts and all this kind of stuff. So and where's the fat man in the red suit coming to this well, story? Well, I, I think it was hallucination from the red and white. <laughs> and, and, you know. and he just happened to be looking north when yeah. you had the hallucination, so he must come out of Probably. the... Probably. Yeah. Drying them in socks over the fire. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a lot of interesting yeah. connections. A lot of connections. Oh, if you shoot, look back, they yeah. have almost every every Christmas tradition, they have a, a parallel to the Amanita Muscaria. It appears a lot in early Christian art form, yeah. or art, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole book that was just, just done recently, and there's a lot of controversy around it, because some of it's conjecture. Yeah. But a lot of the artists from all kinds of religions have all kinds of depictions of that look exactly like mushroom caps and, and oh, different wow. things from the psychedelic world. And some of them are pretty hard to deny. Yeah. Some of it's a bit of a stretch. But yeah. Some of them are, yeah, you know what? <laughs> that Wasn't guy was there, definitely drawing mushrooms. There's a book that just recently was re-released because the first uh, volume was bought out by the Catholic Church that was talking about uh, yeah. Christianity yeah. being a fertility cult based on uh, psychedelic hallucinations. And uh, yeah, re- like, literally the, the first printing got entirely bought out by the Catholic Church and recently the estate allowed it to be reprinted. Right. Mm. I remember mm-hmm. hearing about it. I can't remember the name of the book. but I it, know. It's like one of those names that you hear tons about on most of the podcasts that we listen to. And I would know the author's name off uh, the top of my head if I heard it, but they, not to say it. They were saying something about the the liquid that comes out of the mushroom was like God's semen or... Um, shoot, I wish I could remember what it was. Know, I'm going to have to find a book and then we'll talk about it a little bit more clearly. Um so back to the, the actual journey, the actual yeah. trip. So someone comes in, let's just give you a scenario and you can dig through this. Like, uh, you know what? I've been unhappy for four years. You know, I'm getting through my day, but I, I'm just not happy. You know, lots of days spent it in bed. Um, I, I'm in a deep depression. Doctors aren't helping me. Nothing's helping me. So where, where, where would someone that does these journeys take that person? The first thing I would do is want to know what other medications you're on. Yeah. So if you're doing SSRIs or antidepressants or anything the doctor's given you, you don't may, may not even know what it is. Yeah. Find out the name of that thing. Find out what it is, if it's an SSRI, because um, those things will really mess with you if you go into a journey. So you want to be clean for at least okay. four weeks from so, any medication. So let's say they're clean. They, they, yeah. they, the doctors never put them on, but they're just okay. not happy. Um, the way I see the space holder... Like, say you go to Peru, because it's legal to do there. We won't talk about doing anything that's illegal. (laughs) You go to Peru, say mushrooms or Costa Rica, whatever it is, and you sit down with a quote-unquote shaman or a space holder. The the key ingredient to someone holding a really solid space for that person to interact with the medicine is to basically get out of the way. You're trying to create a really safe container 
for that person to have the experience they need to have with the medicine in a way that the medicine is going to teach them what they need to see. Yeah. But it really is the, the space and the container you create is so much about, like I said, tying yourself to a rocket and what direction is it pointed. You're helping point that rocket in the right direction. So coming in um, without having been, you know, had three beers just before you walked in the door, like those kinds of things, just coming in as clean as you can yeah. so the medicine can interact with you directly. So it doesn't have to take a whole bunch of time clearing out all kinds of garbage from yesterday's news about Trump and all the kinds of stuff that you're, because your brain stores all that stuff. Yeah. So try to come in as clean as you can, and then you're working towards what is it that I'm here for. So, so if you're depression, so you're just for to the, get to the, the root of that. The clean part is like basically mentally, emotionally, and physically yes. just as clean yeah. as you possibly can. Try to drop yeah. all the um, bad days, the you know clean food, yeah, booze, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, and it's I mean I've seen in the situation where somebody came in really really messed up from a fight they had just had with their son or something. It was just really conflicted. Yeah. And I should have shut it down. Yeah. And I didn't. And yeah. so it was a really dark trip. Wow. Um, yeah. It could have been so much better. So that that is really important is come in with with a clear clear mind. Now, you're coming in with trying to work through depression. So you can't come in all happy. Yeah. You're not going to switch a switch and all of a sudden you're coming in happy. So you come in as who you are. Yeah. But you come in without intentionally filling yourself full of, you know, garbage food and and booze and all kinds of stuff and not being able to really interact with with the medicine physically. Okay. So you can't even get to that spiritual level. Yeah. So that's the first step. And then from there, it really depends on the individual and the medicine. Um, That journey might look like walking around talking for four hours. It could look like him, her just laying on a bed with their eye shades on and just completely zoned out to the world and be very going, going really, really deep inside. Um, So it manifests in a lot of different ways. So do these journey leaders or space holders, they'll, they'll take you out for a walk in public or if you're in Peru, I guess, through the trees? Through, you know. uh, it depends on the medicine. Ayahuasca tends to be more in a group setting. Okay. What MAPS is doing with MDMA is very individual. Yeah. They have two sitters, male and female. I see that as a model that's going to really move forward with psilocybin and with MDMA. So the sitters, are those therapists or they're just people with experience? Uh, yes, it depends. Okay. The more, <laughs> the more education they have in psychology, the better. Yeah. Because you're able to identify things that are happening. Yeah. With MDMA, it tends to be more talk therapy. Okay. It tends to be. Yeah. With mushrooms, it can be more introspective, although I've seen both go both directions. Okay. With the, uh, I guess, call them sitters that you have, an interesting point of have, I've heard people talk about, especially with ayahuasca, is they call it the, uh, the death where you literally and figuratively think that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you know? Where do you know when you're a sitter, when you're literally going to die versus where you think you're going to die and it's an experience that it has to be like you mm-hmm. are dying in order for it to have the value? Great question. I think the importance of medical understanding, first aid, is really important for sitters, that somebody in the room knows, okay, I need to check the pulse, I need to check. Monitor the vitals. Yeah. Exactly. Know what you're looking for for physical health. And the mental health might be going you know, all over the mental, the, the brain, the mind might be going on a real deep journey. As long as the body is safe, it's going right. to come back together. Because the thing about these medicines is is way more healthy than even alcohol. Mm-hmm. Like mushrooms have never been known to kill anybody. Some of the people that have, you know, they've claimed mushrooms 
cause them to do something really stupid. Jump off a building or run yeah. in front of traffic. But or... if you're taking, you know, 10 grams of dry mushrooms and you're in the middle of a party somewhere on a top rooftop 50-second floor <laughs> rooftop party, you're not being very smart. Yeah. So you need to have that safe container. So that's really important to know that your vitals are there and the sitters know what is an emergency and what is not. You know, freaking out and saying I'm going to die is not an emergency. Right. That might be part of the process. Yeah. Um, trying to run out the balcony and jumping off the balcony is a dangerous thing. You got to right. you got to intervene. It, it, it's curious you said that because uh, I listened to a lot of Jordan Peterson. Um, mm. He and he talks at length about the benefit of death and rebirth. That that mm-hmm. that's what growth comes from. Is you have to let something die, whether it be an emotion or a thought process or um, an action that you do regularly. You have to let that die, and then from that death, something will reborn out of that. Like it's like quitting smoking, right? Most people that quit smoking, so the the mm-hmm. death of that habit will result in the habit of eating more. So a lot of people that quit smoking get fat, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the rebirth. But unless you have a plan that oh. You know, I'm going to do this, this, and this. That will be my new rebirth. Mm-hmm. Is going to be, you know, exercise or healthy food or whatever. Then the death of smoking will lead to that that greater, better thing. Well, a lot of people in psychedelic journeys talk about ego death. Okay. And that ego thing that is that sense of I, often you get in the medicine and you start to lose your identity. Yeah. And you start to go, who am I? the name, the body, the whole thing, you start to almost disassociate from your physical body. Is that and that's where you can really find some interesting healing because you realize all the shit that you've been looking at is so important. Yeah. Really isn't that important. <laughs> it's like, well, what? I'm so mad that my kids leave the shoes at the front door trekking my whole thing. Th- yeah. Are you kidding me? That's what's... It's not important. So do you think that that's a comparison to sort of the universe, like that 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 drop of ego? Because that's, that's what essentially what ego is, is thinking that you are bigger than where you are, right? Or the situation well, you're in. Like some people come out of it with a real God complex, which can be dangerous too, where psychedelics oh, wow. can be seen to almost give them a sense of superiority. Okay. But well, now I'm more enlightened than everyone else, yeah, so I'm closer to God. Exactly. And so I've seen the universe, and I'm, <laughs> I am the universe. Wow. Yeah, I'm here to save the world. Well, so if you, it's easy to get there. Yeah. If you wipe it the slate clean, it's kind of up to you how you rebuild it. And if you want to rebuild it as a dick, then that's <laughs> totally an option that's available to you. Absolutely. Well, and that would be the, the them not completely understanding the journey, right? Yeah. Like if the journey is about... Um, happiness, enlightenment, having a better life, you know, rebuilding it as a dick is just, well, you're just building on that bad ego that you already had. Well, and I think that's where guidance is really important. Like this isn't, to me, this isn't a pill like an SSRI, antidepressant or whatever, aspirin. Like it's not something you take for the purpose of getting rid of, okay, so I have depression, I'm going to take psychedelics, I'll no longer have depression. Okay. No, it's you take the pills to show you, or you take the medicine to show you what you need to do to eliminate the depression. You take the medicine to show you how, if I keep continue with this addiction, I'm going to end up in a really, really bad state. Yeah. So it shows you that, and then you can make corrections to say, no, I don't want to be that guy that's going to be living like that with this addiction that's controlling me. Yeah. That's silly. I've got this short life to live that I need to really maximize. Yeah. I got to get rid of that shit. So it's well, don't you also see some of the some of the psychedelics will have side effects where it actually knocks you out of the cycle in addition to that that you'll have an addiction. Are you familiar with that at all? No, I think it's totally a ibo ibogaine is that ibogaine therapy yeah, is huge now yeah where 
essentially your your addiction is just based on a cycle of coming up and coming down, and I, I think that's the way it works. And uh, the ibogaine just really resets that, so it allows you to start as a normal person again. Yeah. So that uh, you're not you're not in the cycle of needing you know, the addiction has ended, and now you can ask yourself, is this something I'm actually doing because I want to be doing it, yeah. as opposed to a need that I'm cycling through. Yeah, Gabor Mate is doing a lot of work with ibogaine in Vancouver. Okay. It's a legal substance now in in Canada. Oh. As of yet, they haven't scheduled it. So, so it's, it's something always been legal. With. Yeah, he's, okay. he was working with ayahuasca, I believe. I think he's, I don't know if he still does uh, trips to Peru and stuff where it's legal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's done a lot of work with that. Isn't that, that's legal down the States for religious use, isn't it? Ayahuasca, I'd, I'd heard. There's some places, yeah. There's a or church in Montreal maybe? that's also exempt. It, they they okay. do ceremonies in Montreal. It's, I forget the name of it, Church of Life or something. There's a, it's a Christian-based church, isn't it, if I recall? Yeah. Or the American loose, one? Yeah. 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 So where do you With see the traditions back to Brazil, actually. Yeah. Santa Daime tradition. So is that connection kind of coming from where we were talking about earlier, do you think? Or is that just a connection that's kind of been made in the process of the religion building on itself? Not totally sure. I know it came from a Brazilian tradition, which wasn't specifically Christian. Then, okay. So it moved into the U.S. and Canada. Um, they're... I've read through their theology statement, and it it has a lot of kind of mainline Christianity in it, right? But it's not, uh, I would say, evangelical church. Okay, most of the religions do, right? Like, love your God, love your people, don't hurt anybody. Like that. That's the sort of the basis of. And that's what you find in the medicine too. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. Yeah. People tripping out like druggies. I mean, yeah. what they're doing is finding God and finding. I need to stop being a jerk to my wife. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about microdosing um, yes. because I know that's becoming quite popular. They do it with LSD and psilocybin. Yep. One of my, it's always been a concern for me. If you've got to do something every day or if you're having your emotion and your spirit on just a single line all day, every day, all the time, that that's not necessarily good, that we need to, to, to feel those deep downs so that when we feel the ups, we actually feel that it's an up, mm-hmm. that it's a basis. So, um, you, you know, long-term use of SSRIs do this, right? Where you're yep. just this flat line all the time. Yep. Relatively speaking, it's not that yep. 100% of that's the time. That's simplification, but that's basically what it's doing. Yeah, yeah and, and I feel like people that, you know, drink alcohol every day or smoke pot every day or microdose with psilocybin or LSD are sort of doing that same thing. And it's it's back to that escapist. It's not really, in my mind right now, I'm going, I, I don't see the benefit in doing that, that you, you need that full spectrum of uh depression, sadness, euphoria, excitement, happiness. You can't be just straight down the middle. So I would politely disagree with you completely. (laughs) No, no, that's good. That's why I'm asking. Um, Great question. Because I think that the the difference between psilocybin journey, well, psychedelic journeys, microdose, whatever, and antidepressants are as night and day as it could be. Okay. What antidepressants do, simplified, is like you say, they flatline you. Yeah. So they take away your highs and your lows and allow you to live in the middle. Okay. And and a whole bunch of side effects that are all kinds of craziness. Yeah. That they don't really know why. Yeah. So there's a lot of science that has not been done with SSRIs. Most of the studies that have been done are either funded by pharmaceuticals or they're negative. Yeah. And the ones that are negative are buried because they were also buried by the pharmaceuticals. There's a lot of uh, psychiatrists Billions standing of up dollars. against this. Yeah. Backing up what you're saying. So that whole world of or antidepressants and SSRIs, SNRIs, there's different ones now they're coming out with. 
it's a great moneymaker. Yeah. Huge moneymaker because you get addicted to them. As soon as you start with them and you come off, you have crazy side effects. So they need to stay on them. And again, there's everybody has a different story and there's exceptions to all of this. So I'm not yeah. saying everybody that does this, but generally. Then you've got the add more if it doesn't do the job because what it does is flood your brain with serotonin or it actually re- prevents your brain from reuptaking the serotonin. So it stays in your brain longer. Yeah. And after a while, you're, you get used to that. So that becomes a new normal. And then you're back to where you were. So they have to up the dose. Okay. And so they keep up in the dose until they hit a maximum dose. And then that doesn't work anymore. So they stick a billify or something else on top of that. And they keep playing with these concoctions. And you're addicted to this stuff. It seems like there's almost a no goal with that. Oh, there is. It's called money. Okay. It's massive freaking money. By goal, I mean by uh, health goal. Like there's no, yes. there's no real end to the tunnel. That, that and no. that's what I was it's sort permanent of getting, addiction. Yeah, that's what I was getting at with uh, yeah. uh, microdosing. If you yeah. have to do it every day, yeah, um, is that the same thing? Is it? I know they act very differently. So let me explain that as compared to contrasted to what I just described with the SSRIs. Is that microdosing basically to me is a longer term version of taking a deep journey. Okay. So it's a slow rewiring of the brain. And they're actually, I just posted another article this morning on Facebook about the um, the fact that they're finding out that these medicines are actually doing neural regenesis. It's not so just doing... Which medicines? Like psilocybin? Um, psilocybin. Okay. Uh, they're not sure about MDMA. I don't know the studies on that. But they're finding many of these are doing neural regenesis, which is re-growth uh, of brain cells, Oof. of the dendrites. So you've got a whole different kind of, of process that's happening in your brain. The the uh, psilocybin, for example, breaks into psilocin, which attaches to the same receptor as an SSRI does. Mm-hmm. The SSRI simply floods your current or stops the process of uptaking that serotonin. It doesn't create any new chemicals in the brain that is allowing it to develop new cells. So it's a completely different process, first okay. of all, scientifically. Secondly, it's completely not addictive. Yeah. So I can do a, a microdose for three weeks and stop and not have any desire to, like a need to go back to that. Yeah. If I stop it, there's no side effects. So physically, there's no need. That would be the kind of definition of addiction is mm-hmm. that your body needs that. What about like emotionally or spiritually? Do you feel uh, down or like, um, you know, do you miss it at all? What I believe, and this is, stuff I'm observing and studying and watching other studies and reading everything I can get my hands on is that because this is a slow rewiring of the brain, it's like you're notching your brain up to a new plateau yeah, and it stays there. So if you stop, it still stays there. You're not dependent on that substance to stay there. If you could continue to do it, it notches it again and it stays there. Um, Even the, the journeys they do with people with MDMA or psilocybin or the studies they've done that were legally endorsed studies have shown that eight, nine, 12 months later after a deep journey with psilocybin or with MDMA or with LSD back when they were doing studies with LSD, people were still feeling the effects of the life upgrade, whether that was not having PTSD or not having depression or not having these different things. It was a permanent shift because it helps rewire the brain. That's it's not amazing. just numbing the brain. It's rewiring it to a new level of, of normal. Yeah. 
So the microdosing isn't necessarily um, like having a beer every day after work. No. It, it's it's about regenerating your brain, your thought processes, yep. your emotions, um, yep. even your your spirit. How how yep. you're. Um, it's so hard to differentiate the difference between emotional and spiritual sometimes to, in the description, but I. I can feel the difference. I don't know mm-hmm. how to describe the difference, but you would yeah. you would see an uplift in all those things. Yes, and they do do, do different things for different people. Yeah. So I have some people that I know that are doing it for anti-anxiety, and it just allows them to get through a day without feeling panic attacks. Wow. Other people with depression or other people with just lack of purpose or lack of get up and go at the work job and just being able to process stuff way faster and just move faster and get more done. And yeah. there's different, again, different intentions. And to me, it's really tied into what else are you doing? So if all you do is just start microdosing and you still, you know, go to the bar every night and hang out and just watch TV for five hours when you get home or like there's just no intention about your life. All you're doing is saying, oh, I can just take microdosing and now my life's going to be better. It's not like still like you said. You're still an ass. <laughs> like <laughs> you're still being a jerk to your family and everybody around you. And this isn't. It might help you get some awareness and get off your butt and go. No, you know what? I need to go to the gym, or I need to do this, or I need to do that. Yeah. One of the things that's done for me is it's kicked my butt and said you need to get your body more healthy. Nice. So eating better and going to the gym and trying to trying to take care of myself as yeah. much as I hate. So it's it. like a tool to fix the car, not a new car. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So. Um, I don't even know if I should ask you this or not. Uh, do, <laughs> I can just say no. You can just say no. Um, do you microdose? I, I have experimented. Okay. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> Perfect. I don't. I don't want to get you in trouble, but I really want people to understand. Well, what I can say legally is that there are alternate substances to psilocybin and to LSD. Yeah. That are not scheduled illegal drugs at all. Okay. So in context of that, I can say, yes, I've experimented. Okay. And it has made a huge difference for me. Wow. So what 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 would you say is the main thing? Like you talked about your physical health, eating better and that. Is it a motivator for you? So is it, are you seeing that in all aspects of your life? Like you look at your wife differently. You look at, I don't even know if you have kids, but do you look at your kids differently and your job differently when uh, after a, a microdosing for a period of time? Um, in combination with doing some deep journey work, yeah, I would e- definitely yes. Okay. Um, my whole attitude. I <laughs> I also say it's like the spring on my middle finger gets tightened. That <laughs> <laughs> <So laughs> flipping everyone off every time you turn around. Well, it's just that quick. I mean, I come from you know very f- fairly easy trigger for emotions, right? Yeah. That's just my personality, and so not not that you lower your your highs and raise your lows. But it just helps you control reactions. Yeah. To where it's like some things that would really bother me before and I just go off. Yeah. You know, react and send an email back or you know, retort really quickly without thinking. It's like, no, let's just take a while and look at this more objectively. How could I really react to this in a way that is, you know, for the higher good of everyone involved here? Because I see that person differently now. Yeah. I don't just see look at how he kicked me and yeah. you know whatever symbolically did something to me and react to it right away i um talk about uh, or i think i've talked about this before on the podcast on how emotions are they're, they're kind of like your 
shining a flashlight on something. So it's never bad to be depressed. It's just mm-hmm. bad to be depressed for long periods of time. Um, when you feel the, well, let's not even go with depression, let's go with anger. When you feel angry, there's a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you feel anger, you should stop yourself and go, hey, why am I getting so angry over this? You know, what what's not going right in my life? What do I need yeah. to change? Like, do I need to eat better? Do I need to exercise? Is everybody around me assholes? Am I the ass? Like, yeah. what's going on in my life? So when you're feeling these um, super strong emotions, that should be your trigger for asking why. Yeah. No, not that that guy cut me off because that really shouldn't piss you off, right? That because uh, it's expected in Calgary. Ooh, if you're <laughs> on the happen. road, yeah, you're going to get cut off, right? Or, well, you it's know. perspective though, right? Like it's his action doesn't change. Your position doesn't change. It's how you view it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's when you go from like, I think I, uh, I kind of wonder if it's not like just a cheat for some things you get naturally, like, uh, yeah, yeah, like martial arts. I don't know if you've done any of that before, but you go and just work your ass off. You go punch your friends in the face. You have your ego beaten down and pushed up to the point where you're just confused now and you drive <laughs> home. And for me, it goes from someone cutting you off and you're, you're taking that as a challenge. Like, how dare you think you can treat me that way? And then you're driving home after a good session and you're thinking to yourself, man, what's wrong with that guy's life? That That's how he right. be. Like, I'm so yeah. glad I'm not that guy. Poor yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. Or the guy that pulls totally up beside you and screaming at you, giving you the finger. Like, you really should be more concerned like, with man, his emotional state. Yeah. And, because it's not against mm, you. What's going on at home yeah. with that guy? Right. Like, what's There's something internal that's driving that reaction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you don't see that without no. those little yeah. clicks that you get, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the medicine, like like you're saying with martial arts, this is one medicine that is like yoga, meditation, martial arts. Like there's so many different ways to achieve many of the same states you can find with psychedelics. Yeah. It's like, it's just part of a family of awareness medicine. Are you familiar with the... Uh, oh, just, my brain shut off. That yoga that'll induce uh, hallucinations. Uh, Kundalini. Uh, Kundalini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. Powerful stuff. Is that a chemical release, do you figure, or is that just a process, or how does that kind of relate to psychedelics well, as a thing that you take? I'm not an expert in Kundalini yoga. My, I have a okay. friend who is, <laughs> and she would love to talk about it for hours. Well, um, make sure you get her uh, our information. Yeah, she'd love to talk to you. Um, but I've done a few sessions in a group with her, and... I can't tell you really what happened, but talk about emotions, like bringing up emotions and seeing realities and breathing is a huge okay, deal. Yeah, holotropic breath work. Holotropic, yeah. I was going to say it's kind of a yeah. oxygen. It's what is it? It's almost over oxygenation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, geez, my brain's not working today. But yeah, essentially yeah. it's like, it's one of those, it's like, it's very easily explainable why you're going into this state, but at yep. the same time, the value's still there, I would say. And you can have induced psychedelic states just with breath work. Right. Is that oxygen deprivation or oversaturation? Over, yeah. Because yeah. you, you oxygenate your body. All mm-hmm. your cells are so pumped. And is that just the euphoric state that you'd naturally get from over-oxidizing? Or is that something like else? It sounds like an adrenaline rush. Like, you know, when you get into a big fight and that adrenaline just builds up inside you or a near-death experience, whatever it will be, that, you know, you have this heightened awareness of everything going Well, the guy that started it was a psychedelic therapist with LSD in the 60s. Uh-huh. Uh, Stanislav Grof and when they made it illegal he's like I've got to continue my therapy and I need to be able to induce a <laughs> hallucinogenic state yeah. so he discovered or developed this whole holotropic breath work hmm. and it was for the purpose of therapy okay. so a lot of it is suggestive a lot of it is set and setting again so music that they choose that they have just pumping through the speakers and you're you're laying on the on the mat and you're doing this breath work that they've 
you know, prepped you for and what to look for and how to continue it. And it's very intentional. So it's not just breathe heavy and you'll have a great experience. <laughs> Do you follow uh, Wim Hof at all? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, he kind of has that yeah. sort of over-oxidizing technique for a lot of his things that he does, too. I wonder how that crosses over. That kind of yeah, stuff. yeah. They're, they're testing him at, uh, I want to say John Hopkins, but I'm not sure that that's the right university. That, uh, he is cyanide? Well, no, they injected no, him with a virus. Yeah. And through breathing, he was able to, whatever, get rid of the virus inside of his body. Wow. And doctors were pretty blown away. Like, no, you just got to go through the process. Like, if we give you the flu, you're going to get the flu and your body has to do antibiotics and you'll come out. And they gave him, I want to say it's the flu. I don't know that that's true. And uh, he sat down, breathed through it, never got the flu. Wow. And this is under a doctor's observation. And so they're trying to figure out how he has the ability. Yeah. And he's done some amazing things. And Well, her ability to heal is powerful. Yeah. Like the ability to visualize and go internally and look at what, what's going on physically. And I had an experience with that thing. that I tell a lot of people because I believe it's this mind over matter thing mm -hmm. that uh, even Christians believe you have God within, not that mm -hmm. we're the big G. And some people say, oh, I feel like a little G, and that's round upon, I get it. But mm -hmm. we have this ability to, to heal ourselves because of God within. And uh, when I was about 21, I had this thing called a pneumothorax. It's basically your, uh, you have like little lesions on your lungs. They pop. The air fills up in the chest cavity and holds the lung down onto the bottom. So after this happens to you two or three times, uh, they want to do surgery to fix the problem so that you're not back in there every couple of months uh, getting a yeah. chest tube, um, which is great because chest tubes suck. I could tell that story <laughs> too, and it's not very much fun. I think they do it better now, though. Uh, so anyways, I went into the surgery, and the uh, the doctor came in for the pre-surgical consultation, and do you have any questions? And, you know, I'm asking, what's the worst-case scenario? He's like, oh, you could die with this surgery. Um, he <laughs> was saying that the, the healing process can be anywhere from two to three weeks and, mm -hmm. you know, plan on being here for, for a long time, and, and uh, you'll be done. And I just remember in my mind going, I don't want to be here for three weeks. I know it can't take that long. And after the surgery, I woke up, I laid in bed. I literally had my hands over top of the wound to, to do uh, microscopic. So you mm -hmm. have like three big punctures in your side. And I lay there. You got nothing else in the hospital. You can't get up. You can't do nothing. And I would think about the wound. And the benefit I had was they actually videotaped it for me. I asked them. and You could uh, visualize it. I could visualize the damage to my body. And I would hold my hand over top of it and watch mm -hmm. this video and just think about healing like I don't want to be here mm -hmm. I need this to to repair and to heal and I mm -hmm. was breathing you know more uh, uh, attentively I guess or uh, intentionally intentionally yeah. is where yeah um, and three days later the doctor comes in he's like this is really good I'm gonna send you home and I was supposed to be there a minimum of two weeks wow and this is you know long before my Christian journey yeah. this was you know I probably at the time I was a pretty heavy drinker and and uh, still doing LSD and um, uh, pot and a bunch of other stuff at the time yeah. um, so I wasn't in a healthy state by any means but yeah. yet I was able to heal my Myself just through this deep thought. I had yeah. 24 hours a day of in that room to, to get yeah. over it. So I really truly believe so that. So doing Reiki on yourself, basically. I, I guess so. Yeah. It's funny because I've never been a big fan of the, the Reiki and mostly lack of understanding, I yeah. think, is where it comes from. But uh, Well, I, and there's charlatans in the Reiki world and there's real ones. For so. sure. Chiropractic, massage, yeah. everything. Yeah. GPs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all out there. So yeah, we, we have this ability within. I think when you're really 
you know, Wim Hof being able to um, meditate deeply through mm-hmm. uh, proper breathing techniques, he's able to overcome viruses. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, probably LSD or psilocybin or DMT or ayahuasca, that they, they're just tools to help you do that exact same thing. Just bring real awareness to your body and... Um, yeah, be able to, to move on. Uh, the, the, what I did want to ask you, though, is that you talked about, you know, if you were drinking the night before, you can't do a journey. You know, if you're in a bad place, you shouldn't do a journey. Is there any other ones that, that uh, you know the people that run these journeys as space holders are going to say, absolutely not, you're not in on this? So a good space holder, a good shaman. Well, like we talked about earlier about antidepressants are a big one. Yeah. Like anything that's going to attack, or not attack, that's working in your brain, on the same kind of receptors as the psychedelics. Okay. Just not advisable. Ayahuasca is a different story yeah. because it's a very traditional Peruvian or Amazonian medicine. They have a very strict di- dieta, they call it, diet, yeah. that you do sometimes up to weeks before you're allowed to take the journey. Yeah, I heard about that. And so often no red meat. Um, that changes a bit with different traditions, but very, very clean eating, plant-based, yeah. uh, no alcohol, Actually, no sex. They have a big thing about sex with the ayahuasca. I'm out. The shamans <laughs> like can't can't do that. Yeah. Um, there's different opinions on that. I have a different opinion about that. So I believe it's a so let's, beautiful part of healing myself. Let's. Uh, I couldn't agree more. There's. We could get into that too. Um, there's a couple pastors that do some really good sermons on uh, sexuality and and uh, all what the reasons are. Actually, I want to get back to ayahuasca a little bit. Um, so just maybe give an explanation what, what ayahuasca is and, and the drug that, uh, or the medicine that's in it and how it reacts. With yeah, so it's a DMT-based thing, yeah. which is dimethyltryptamine, which is probably one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful drug for psychedelic states. Yeah. Um, psilocybin is almost identical to, to DMT if you analyze a molecular okay. structure. They're almost identical. So that's why both of those are so powerful okay um it's a vine and a plant that are combined chacruna vine and a capi vine or capi plant in amazon um slightly different they add different things to it depending on the tradition but generally those two are required because your body will not ingest dmt directly from the from the plant it needs the vine which breaks down the inhibitors in your body for it to break the blood brain barrier in your head so that's why they have to combine these. How they discovered this, they say the plants told them. Wow. How to do it thousands of years ago. Yeah. So if you were to go to Peru and talk to the shamans, there's a long lineage history of of how and and what they do with it. So yeah. do they grow together or is there any indication They have to like find that? them two They're two separate, separate things, yeah. eh? Okay. And then, so with the explanation of DMT, what I understand is that most plants trees, shrubs, have uh, DMT inside. Almost all living things have DMT in including them. Including us. Including humans. Have yeah. they, is that third eye theory proven about DMT? Um, there's debates on that. Yeah, For a while they were saying that's fact, and now other people are doing studies and going, you know, we need to look at this more further right. because it's really not completely proven. Yeah. Do we, um, do they know, like, do we experience a DMT dump before death? Is that, that was one of the conjectures yeah, a lot of people kind of say, there. and it's out there. They were okay. testing Nobody's that done it and then come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were testing that in rats, right? Yes. Yeah. And they were saying that at the, the right before death that they, their body was releasing yeah. the DMT. Yeah. So if it's the same as humans then yes, but they, yeah. from what I understand, they haven't 
conclusively decided that that's what happens. There's a lot of conjecture on it, though. Yeah. I would tend to lean towards yes, but I don't know for sure. And then what's the difference between, uh, so I know people will um, smoke DMT, which I think is a, a powder. Uh, crystal, yeah. Crystal. And then, uh, of course, ingesting it uh, in the, the drink, the shaman drink. Yep. What, what's the difference between the smoking and the drink? If you take the drink, it's a three, four hour, sometimes up to six hour journey that you go in very deep. If yeah. they, you know, if the shamans are giving a high dose, like a serious dose, it's very profound. Yeah. And it's very interesting with ayahuasca is that the visions that are almost always common, not always, but mostly common, are very jungle. Like it's really yeah. uncanny, the snakes and the panthers and yeah. and the things that are that you see in ayahuasca, um, and then the teachings, the awareness, the connection to spirit world. Uh, some people go on like literal trips through the through the story. Are those archetypes that you experience no matter where you do that, or is that just yes. because of the heavy, yeah, yes. like the jungle or in your basement? Yes. It doesn't really matter. Like there's people that bring it to. North America, mm-hmm. and people are saying the same thing when they experience it here as they do down there. Okay. So it's a very, very unique medicine in that way, and so much tradition around it that it's not just, oh, you're tapping into subconscious. And that's where I come back to my thing. It's a te- an antenna, mm-hmm. not just going inward. Yeah. That there's something that you're connecting to something bigger than ourselves. Wow. When With you're going that, to these medicines. I totally want to go down a weird road here. Fortunately, Chad's established that he knows magic, so uh, <laughs> we can get kind of weird now. Yeah. Now, there's an interesting theory I've heard. When you get into the science aspect of um, psychedelics, especially something like DMT, when you... you come down to the chemistry of it, you're dealing with the atomic level, the frequency, and that's interacting with how your body works and your perspectives that you have. And coming down to even more of the base level of the universe, a lot of people would argue that frequency modulation is what the universe really is. We're all just vibrations. Exactly, yeah. And and, and something, an argument of superposition, where where you physically are doesn't really matter in relativity to anything else. How do you feel... Now, obviously, we're going to be talking like theoretically here, personal beliefs. How do you feel psychedelics relate to your experience with the universe? Well, I think that's ego death. I think that's, that's exactly what death, happens yeah. is you lose that sense of, like we, we have come through, because they, they say a lot of taking rabbit trails. When you're children, really small, they say often your brains are like psychedelic states where you right. see everything. You see all the vibration, you see the waveforms, you see not just the physical things that we now see as a table or the microphone or the computer. So it's all vibration. As we get older, we learn to filter what we need to survive because we're survival mechanisms, basically. There's no one protecting so, us anymore. Yeah, so we need to know that when I run into this table, it's going to probably hit me and it's going to hurt. Yeah. So I need to see that physical reality. I don't need to see waveforms, molecular structures. I don't need to see all the metaphysical reality of this table. I just need to know that there's a hard edge there that's going to hurt when I run into it with my knee. Right. So I think, my opinion, because you asked for opinion, and it is conjecture, yep. is that when we go into the psychedelic state, we open up our antennas to the realities of the waveforms, that we are now receiving a whole new reality. A dimensional sense. Yes. Right. And so we start to lose that sense of self in the context of the universe. So now we be literally become one with the universe mm. and we start to see our place within that. And so then all the stories really become so insignificant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All this shit, like driving down yeah. the highway. So it's like connecting with that source and seeing that God, intelligence, universe, we're part of that. 
Right. So God within us, like we are all one. Jesus spoke about Father, help them see we're all one, like you right. and I are one. Right. All of a sudden, that has new meaning, and we go, "Holy crap!" It's interesting the comparison or the example you made with the kids. My daughter, who's eight, recently learned in school how most everything in the world is mostly space. It's the space mm-hmm. between the atoms or yeah. the neutrons and electrons. Um, and it shocked me how well she took to understanding how that worked. Wow! Because well, most kids, you try and explain to them like Over how laws heads. work. Yeah. Like yeah. why why can't I cross the road when there isn't a crosswalk? today but tomorrow i can't because we'll get a ticket yeah that's over their head but the fact that everything including air is something that actually it's a, it's actually something that exists and most of it is just empty space between things mm-hmm. and so it makes you wonder it makes you wonder mm-hmm. like you know i was like oh i wonder if being that close to that sensory is what makes mm-hmm. that yeah it's a i don't really have a point with that i'm just it's an interesting yeah. connection that i'm seeing I there think yeah. kids see way more than than we give them allowance for. Mm-hmm. I remember there's a, a time when Ava, uh, my daughter was a baby, uh, standing in her crib in the middle of the night and we had a night vision camera in her room to, to watch her on mm-hmm. our TV. Super helicopter parents <laughs> at the time, so don't judge me. <laughs> but, uh, New technology. Yeah, she would, uh, she would get up in the middle of the night and she would have conversations with something in her room. Like, mm-hmm. she would talk. She's in pitch mm-hmm. black. There's nothing in the room except for her. And she would stand up, and she would look, and she would follow something through the room with her eyes mm-hmm. and her head, and she would have a conversation with it. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a, a one-and-a-half-year-old, two-year-old conversation. It's it's gibberish to us, mm-hmm. but it looked like if I didn't understand she was a baby, she was actually verbally having a conversation, which was amazing to me. Um, I, when you were telling your, your description about the vibrations of the earth, it, it made me think about tracers. And so one thing I remember mm. very well from my acid trips were <laughs> the tracers, right? That it's, it's like everything in the world is vibrating around you, mm-hmm. that, that nothing is standing still. So you take a look at um, uh, a large pine tree that I remember standing out from those times, mm-hmm. and I could watch the pine tree breathe. And mm-hmm. I could watch it shake and move in, you know, the base of the tree, not not the leaves, which would move in the wind and whatever. So how much of of that is is what we're trying to achieve again? Like we're trying to get to that 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 understanding that you know there's there's it's all just space, it's vibrating uh, mm-hmm. molecules or whatever. I think it's huge. Yeah, because I mean, you get to that understanding of what is real, not. The hard surfaces, yeah, or the stories we hold on to, and you start tapping into that greater consciousness. It starts to shift your whole thinking, yeah, about life, about relationships, about everything. What your place in this world? Why am I here? You know, why should I be depressed? That's silly. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So you start to reframe those stories in light of this new reality. Because we move around in these boxes and we think we need to get a bigger box because it's going to make me look important. Yeah. And a new box with wheels because that's going to make me look cool. Yeah. It's like, who gives a rip? But like, it's just unimportant. It's just so unimportant. Yeah. They're looking for something great or something amazing yeah. and they're trying to find it in material objects yeah. um, and, and not within. Not yeah. that, that true happiness or, or excitement. Yeah, I've always thought the tracers were uh, speed lines. <laughs> I uh, it's kind of that weird fact, you know, when you sometimes you experience the time speeding up or slowing down. It's not obviously they say it's your brain either firing faster than it knows how to interpret or slower, and as a result, things seem slower or faster. And to me, it's 
those tracer lines are just what I see anyways, just way more clear. And I kind of always wondered if it wasn't a, a side effect of that. Yeah. Which also takes you into the perspective aspect, though, of if if something you can take can change the speed of time, it's not changing the speed of time. It's changing how you perceive it. But with the argument that um, like there is that uh, the quantum theory that without perspective, there's no existence. Mm-hmm. So technically, isn't that what the reality is? Even yeah, if, if you're the... tree the... falls in the forest, nobody's there. Exactly, yeah. It's like that old uh, conundrum that if there's a multiverse where every possibility is possible and no possibility can happen unless there's perspective, technically, you could kill yourself over and over and over again, and you'll always be in the universe where you somehow miraculously survived that. And it's an actual like uh, thought game that a, a quantum scientist came up with. Yeah, You'll just keep being in that reality of the multiverse where it mm-hmm. doesn't result in your death because if you die, perspective dies and the universe ceases to exist. Yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting thought when you it think is. about perspective versus what you're actually happening in the world around you. I was told at one time that tracers were because your brain is firing slowly. So it's like a right, lagging yeah. computer, right? That is just, you're seeing it in sections moving. But uh, since I've done LSD when I was a kid, I'll, I'll see that when I'm tired. So it almost sort of lines up, right? My brain is not fully functioning. And so mm-hmm. um, you don't see it in little tiny movements like you do when you're on LSD. But when you're super, super tired and you wave your hand in front of you, you can see the hand follow, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's... But it's uh, like, you know, like you go to a parade and after the parade, it looks like the curb across the street is moving. Yeah. Totally what it feels like when you like smoke too much pot or something, <laughs> right? And you're like staring at something and you're swearing it's moving. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it makes you wonder if it's... How is much it the vibrations? Is, is it the, yeah. Yeah, what's causing it? How much, like, obviously it's happening naturally. So at what point do we need the key of a psychedelic or a drug to cause something that would just happen naturally? And at what point, and I guess it's the holotropic of breathing. At what mm-hmm. point can it just be a natural process? Yeah. Yeah. And not losing it as a, as a child, right? Like, I think the, we're born with it so we can get back there again. Mm-hmm. But what, what exactly made us lose it that you know like you said maybe protection that you know or i think i said it that that they feel protected now you've been told oh don't don't touch that or don't bump your head here or wash yourself or and tuning s- out of ghost sightings like like you're saying about the your daughter seeing talking to people in a room yeah most parents go no there's nothing here you're fine yeah like if they freak out or whatever and get them to look under the bed. See, there's nothing there. There's nothing in the closet. Yeah. And we train them to detune. Yeah. To oh. tune out the whole spirit yeah. world. Mom and dad don't lie. So if yeah. there's nothing there, there's nothing them. there. Yeah. Right. Actually, did you hear there's a genetic cursor to believing your parents? They believe. Uh, in talking about social, like socially engineering your genetics where kids that would listen to their parents would survive. And as a result, that genetic would pass through the generation because kids that didn't survive wandered away from the fire and got eaten by lions wow it makes sense if you think it like for how much time you're with your kid and how many times you've said don't do that and they've listened and and lived because of that right you can only imagine what it was like when times were a lot more dangerous sometimes i wish they hadn't listened to me but that's (laughs) another topic (laughs) but it was their fault technically that time I think that uh, I sort of wish that kids always, you would catch them right at that dangerous moment so they would believe you more. But then Mm -hmm. I go, well, maybe I'm not the right person to believe. (laughs) Well, I like that they ask why. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't want them to blindly follow. I don't want them to just do whatever they want. I want to have that conversation about why I'm telling you not to do this. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I got to tell you less after that. Yeah. 
Yeah, because the, they start to think for themselves. Right, yeah. yeah. And they, yeah, they start piecing the puzzle together. Like, oh, you know, if, if I'm not, or if people think this when I do this, and I don't want them to think that, well, then I'm not going to do that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about this in the past, about mm-hmm. swearing, and mm-hmm. my kids are at that age where uh, lots of the 11 and 13-year-olds are... Pretty know, colorful. Pretty colorful, to yeah. say the least. Yeah. And, you know, I asked my daughter, do your friends swear? And she's like, yeah, they, they, they swear. I'm like, do you? And she's like, No. And she goes, would I be allowed to? And I'm like, well, it's just a word. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think it is a bad thing, but I pick and choose my words depending on the company. Is it I'm hurting with. people? Right. Those words, well, then it's a bad thing. That's right. But, yeah. and, and if those people, or if it's going to limit what your progress is, what your journey mm-hmm. is, then, then yeah, don't, don't swear in that, yeah. that company, right? That just doesn't make sense to, to push everyone away. You don't swear in language. an interview with a Christian charity. <laughs> it's learning. It's learning the consequences is what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Understanding social what it acceptability. Is. Yeah. Is There's nothing kind of wrong thing. with swearing. Swearing is a, a great way to establish the emotional value that someone should be putting on what you're saying or describing some anything. Right? Yeah. yeah. There, there's. Have you seen the Osho video about his use of the word "fuk"? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, so is that that funny. Indian? Uh, yeah, the Indian guru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes through all the etymological and the grammatical thought, use of the word. <laughs> I thought that was dubbed. I thought that was... No, uh, it's him. Is it? Yeah, it's him. <laughs> That's funny, how, funny how stupid swears are when you hear swears in other languages. Yeah. Because you hear it as the literary interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, why would, why, why would you swear? But then you think about what ours are, and you're like, yeah, it's pretty stupid, actually. Well, <laughs> most of them are considered blasphemous, right? Like uh, Blasphemy or your mother? That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Generally uh, speaking, like um, you can go to a tabernacle, but if you go tabernacle, that's that's a blasphemous. You have to add word, a, right? a to the end. Tabernacle. <laughs> tabernacle. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's funny that uh, we we put all these rules and and uh, stuff on our kids, and we we mm-hmm. create cultures for them without even thinking about whether it's true or not true. And um, you know, I went through a phase. I talked about this before too. So sorry, but I'll explain it to you that. Uh, I was a trucking boat. That's how they people knew me. Like, oh, that's the guy that's just nonstop swearing. And um, um, I went through a phase when uh, I became a Christian where I'm like, oh, I'm going to stop doing all the stuff that I don't think the Christian should do. So mm-hmm. I stopped swearing for a long time. And my life changed dramatically. People started listening to me more, wanting to un- explain things to me, mm-hmm. help me out. Um, it changed me dramatically, all because of the words that I used and, mm-hmm. and the emotion that I put behind them. And as soon as I could control that in myself, then my life got better. People mm. started coming in, filling up my circle, educating me. Yeah. Uh, it, it was amazing for me, right? And I think a lot of people block their own path without even thinking about it. Oh, I'm allowed to, yeah, you're allowed to swear. You're allowed to drink. You're allowed to get drunk. You're allowed For to. For me, I had to learn how to swear. <laughs> well, if you so started if drinking get, a little bit earlier, it would have been no problem. Been a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I had to come to the point where it wasn't, I'm just so self-righteous. I don't swear, drink, or do drugs. Like, wow. look at me. I'm the good boy. It's like, no, I'm just like everybody else. Well, it's interesting. They've tested uh, people that swear, and they've determined that, that, speaking of drugs, swearing is like a minimal, like a minor drug. There's a reason why most swear words are very abrupt, very hard sounding. It's mm-hmm. almost like an action, like a uh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently it relieves a lot of, it relieves stress. It relieves to some degree pain it's as like a endorphin. Like the in martial arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Well, we use it in emotional release. Absolutely. Like yeah. You hammer on a pillow yeah. and 
use any word you can just to get that emotions going in your body. Yeah. So you can actually get to the root of what's causing yeah. this. Well, whatever. It's like they say on an amusement whatever. park ride, if you yell while you're dropping, it'll actually feel better because you're hmm. releasing the air from your system. The pressure isn't there anymore, yeah. which is what makes most people sick on rides. Huh. Yeah. So yeah, there definitely is a physiological. I'm usually just like blue faced. And yeah. <laughs> tight. Try to breathe. Try to breathe. <laughs> breathe. 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 All right, so I, I was just thinking about this, that you're going back to you being sober till you're 35 um, and understanding maybe not your youth, but maybe like your um, young adulthood um, until mm-hmm. you, you started experimenting. What was it like? Was it, you know, was there a lot of happiness? Was there a lot of depression, sadness, anxiety? Like what, what was it like being sober and self-righteous? Well, good and bad. I mean, I grew up in a really great home. My dad was phenomenal pastor. He wasn't, you know, in any way, even hinting towards abusive in any way. Very passionate man. Yeah. Um, spent lot, just had, you know, lunch with him yesterday. So nice. we're good friends. I mean, it's really positive. Um, my mom was amazing. I just visited her grave just before I came here. Nice. She's just north of here, just in Carstairs. And she passed away a year ago. Um, phenomenal home. Yeah. Like love, acceptance, all kinds of guidance, guidance. encouragement um, with it came the self-righteous piece where if we tried to stray a little bit, like if we got caught swearing, that kind of stuff would be severely punished. Yeah. Um, but in the sense of really truly desiring for the best of what was for us. So in the context of full stop, I had an amazing home. Yeah. Very blessed, very thankful, grateful yeah. forever. Cool. Um, but the side of it that went to Prairie Bible college, which was very uptight, no curtains in the showers because you might get caught masturbating. Um, I mean, like craziness, right? God forbid. Yeah. I, just to the nth degree of piousness yeah. in a very disruptive way. Yeah. Um, so coming out of there after four years and moving into you know, being a youth pastor, going to seminary training, master's degree so I could go teach in another Bible college, like all that stuff, it just keeps building up on that um, becoming the right person. Yeah. For outward appearances. And inwardly, more and more <laughs> mental, you know, anguish. Yeah, that's like, this isn't right. Something's not right here. It doesn't th- feel right. That's what I was getting at. Like your your emotional state at that time, because what comes out of us outwardly very rarely lines up with what mm-hmm. we're doing inwardly, I think, for most people. Yep. And it became increasingly like that until finally both my wife and I in different paths and thankfully we've been able to do this journey together at different times at different speeds as we've both kind of gone through the shift but coming back repeatedly until now we're at a place where there's so much raw authenticity and honesty Mm -hmm. that it's it's hard to fake it like it's just we we can't put on a face like that's one of the things that the medicine has been so good for us both of us yeah. is just being really, really honest. Yeah. Do you feel you with know, that? I'm messed up, up here and I'm okay with that and I need to work on it. Yeah. Do you feel with that upbringing that you are hardwired as an individual to look out for spirituality with a passion as a result, of, as opposed to maybe the average person would? I do think so, yes. Yeah, you bring that to yep. maybe both? Yeah. Okay. Because I really looked at my past as, a, as a, <laughs> a negative for a long time. I hated church. Yeah. Coming out of church, it was just like I was so done with all the religion. I worked for a charity that was abusive. And it was just so many things that were just like grinding me. And when I finally broke free of it all, yeah, it's like I just I didn't ever want to look back. And getting to the point where I'm sitting in church with my parents-in-law not that long ago, and just no judgment. 
like the getting to past the point where I see them as all a bunch of hypocrites. No, they're not. These yeah. are people that truly desire the right thing. They're just working their way through And they're life. working through, way that, yeah, in a different way than I am right now. Yeah. And I can't be sitting here throwing stones at them or I'm no better than what I felt like they were doing to me back when I was in it. Like right. it was, um, but the definitely changing my, my viewpoint to my past saying that prepared me for all this work that we get to do now with the medicines. Right. Because what we're doing is very spiritual. Yeah. It's not, yeah, let's, let's go escape and go trip out on mushrooms. Yeah. No, this is deep, hard work that's going to require inward searching through in a spiritual way. A very different perspective than what I taught in Bible college, but at the same time, very spiritual. Yeah. So deeply. Do you find a lot of people that uh, perhaps you're meeting in uh, the psychedelic world also come from some sort of fairly strong spiritual background also? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel Shamanistically, that? like native traditions, religion, Christianity, Catholicism, a bunch of different kinds of ways, Buddhism, but all, not all, but many are from a deeply spiritual background. Is there almost a, uh, would you say there's a stereotype you could give people that come into psychedelics that haven't had that spiritual background and how they tend to maybe deal with it differently than those who had? Hmm. Good question. Um, I think the probably tend to be more of uh we're just tapping into our self-consciousness subconsciousness right yeah as opposed to tapping into higher source or god creator uh people that come from a religious or spiritual background continue to have that desire to tap into source right creator god there's just a way that they uh they view anything yeah. that's spiritual it has and again to it's be. a generalization it's oh, not for everyone sure. yeah. but generally absolutely yeah. Yeah, they always say it's uh, when you when you deal with a lot of atheists, um, most really passionate atheists come from a religious background and have yeah. just traded one for another, um, which which isn't certainly saying anything good or bad. It's just saying matter-of-factly mm-hmm. that people yeah. get wired a certain way at some point and find things to fill that uh, that yeah. device. Yeah. So it's int- I've always wondered if, uh, you know, something like uh, psychedelics, because it does become very religious for a lot of people, if people mm-hmm. who don't have that religion find that religion, or they just find a way to make it work with what, how they have come already. Yeah. It's been difficult not to let psychedelics become a new religion. Yeah. Where yeah. it becomes this passion that everybody should be doing this. No. Falls into that no, cookie cutter that you have path. available for yeah. it. Yeah. And there's people that do need this, I believe, mm-hmm. that would really help them. Like near death cancer patients yeah. that are like hospice. Yeah. Well, it's like they say the there's... studies they've done are powerful. That's really in interesting. right? Actually, mushrooms. Oh, they did mushroom. a big study oh, okay. at Hopkins with okay. uh, a few years ago with end of end of life, oh, yeah. and just relieving the the, the fear of death, mm-hmm. so people could just live in yeah. peace and joy and for whatever time they yeah had it might be three months or three years, but it's like they completely changed their whole perspective yeah. of death. Yeah, with uh, they're legalizing um, euthanasia of humans in in California. I think the bill's either passed or it's about to pass or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where if somebody is super sick or um, you know they know they're going to die, they still can make the the decision consciously properly that they're going to allow them to do it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I, I, I'm. I, I don't know enough about it to say, or I've never been in that experience to say that those people are wrong, and I, and I don't want to say that because everybody suffers differently um, than everybody else. But this seems like a better alternative to live out the rest of your life without um, without suicide. 
And, and I'm mm-hmm. sure that a lot of people that are suffering this, are, they're not Christians, but it, it is a sin in the Bible to, to commit suicide. Um, and so this would be a, a relief from that, that pain, that stress, whatever, as opposed to... Yeah, I, I struggle with that a bit because I think it's happening every day in every hospital and across our own country. Yeah. Just what do you call it? Yeah. An extra shot of morphine when you're in your last breaths to push somebody over the edge? Is that assisted suicide? Yeah, I it's happening every day. Bad. It's going to happen today in Calgary. Yeah, um, makes you wonder. Yeah, perhaps. And I don't have any judgment for that. Yeah, yeah. perhaps it's a, it's a, it's not the best way to look at it. But it's almost like there's different societies within societies. Um, a friend of mine, I wouldn't say a friend, an acquaintance of mine, had literally went from the point of uh, having uh, a euthanasia counseling, trying to figure out how to go through with this process, hmm. and uh, did a dietary change, and is almost completely healthy now. Wow. Not dealing with any of the problems that they were literally debating, yeah. like going through the process of how do I kill myself. Yeah. Um, but I have to say there's people in this life who aren't going to go through that. Who, like there's literally people who will not stop eating chips because that's more important than living for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how many people you know that are like, I'm diabetic, uh, I could just make a lifestyle change and I wouldn't be anymore, but I'm not willing to do that. I'll just take yep. the medication. Right. Yeah. Rather take the insulin. Yeah. But, you know, in all fairness, that that's their right. And that kind of sets up a society of different people. You have people that live mm-hmm. in a society of an open-mindedness and willing to self-betterment and people mm-hmm. who are just literally trying to get through this life with as little resistance as possible, even if that means having a shorter life. Yeah, and psychedelics or anything else, you could bring them to the water, but they have to want to change. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I'm sure yeah. you could literally walk up to someone with scientific proof and medical backing mm-hmm. saying that if you take a psychedelic, this will change your life for the better, and they wouldn't do it. So it does. It definitely makes you think there's different societies within a society. Why the problem with what you just said too is that there's a lot of people that wouldn't do it strictly for stigma reasons. Right. And I wanted to talk about that a bit because all of a sudden now we have marijuana moving into legal, and now we have churches in different places going, "Oh, we need to shift our morality code." Yeah. <laughs> because now it's legal. It was sin before, but now it's not sin anymore because it's changed in the law book. I'm calling bullshit. Like the gateway drug idea is working changing. against morality them now. Morality keeps changing. Yeah. And so now what's, okay, so psychedelics are immoral. It's bad to take drugs. Well, you take aspirin, you take, those are fine drugs. Yeah. You take fentanyl if the doctor prescribes it to you. That's a dangerous drug. That's a very dangerous drug. My mom had saved her last four months and allowed her to be very functional and cognizant and happier than she would have had without it. So any of those things are drugs, but all of a sudden those are okay. But you take LSD, especially LSD, it's got the stigma, oh, that's sin. Yeah. Hello. Well, uh, scripturally, though, there's there's scripture that says that you are to follow the law of the land, right? So if you're in a land where it's so okay, I'm working at getting around the laws. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is totally fine, right? And when they change the law, I understand why the churches say, "Oh, okay, well, this is okay now because we're no longer breaking the law of the land." So I sort of understand that morality change, and and if uh, it was presented that way, it's not usually presented that way. True enough. It seems like, like a, preaching against drugs, like say yeah. no to drugs. I say say. K-N-O-W to drugs because we need to understand these things. We need to know this stuff. Yeah. It seems like a really big door to open to hypocrisy, though. It is. When you say to obey the the law of the land. Because if the government says a law that that violates your rights as a Christian, we say, no, we should disobey the government. Yeah. To me, this is as important as any of those laws. If they said to us, all of a sudden, we shouldn't meet as a body, you'd continue meeting underground. China. Right? Exactly. And yeah. so in those cases, we say, oh, we should break the law because the government is not God. But when it comes to things that serve us, that help us control our people, we use them for our benefit. 
Right. Common sense becomes the most hypocritical thing you can do a lot of times. Stuff so common, yeah. yeah. The, the only reason I brought that up is that I've made massive changes, and I remember growing up hearing that you know tigers never change their stripes. And you know, mm-hmm. if you ask someone that knew me in my twenties, uh, they would give you a completely dis- different description of who I am now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's okay that those churches change their mind and they go, "Oh, well, you know what? We, we did do this because we believed it was right. It was the law of the land, and we didn't know. We were ignorant to the fact, mm-hmm. and and now." we know right so um, uh, they say God is knowledge and the more you get to know God the more knowledge we are and that's where those churches are not that I'm trying to defend because there's definitely some just get me on a soapbox (laughs) (laughs) there's definitely a lot of hypocritical churches out there that you know say one thing and do something else as as there is with all humans Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah I just I I wonder where it's going to go and how many churches are going to um, incorporate this into their to their services, maybe mm-hmm. to you know, how do we get to a deeper spiritual realm? Um, you know, here's mm-hmm. your little square of paper, and uh, <laughs> we'll this, see you in eight hours. <laughs> this is going to be a nine-hour sermon, so hang on tight, right? Uh, yeah, which very mel- very well may come. I true. could see that happening in certain yeah. churches ten years from now. And the Absolutely. the scariest part about some of these laws, like even with euthanasia, uh, just to get back to that for a minute, that okay, right now it's it'll be legal in California for me to say oh i'm ill i'm going to die i don't want to be sick for the next two years so i'm going to kill myself mm-hmm. well how long until it goes to the next step where well no now your family can make the decision or whatever yeah right or okay now now you're allowed to say it your family's allowed to say that you can die well now this therapist who's well trained in it can and then it's a government official so before you know it they get to pick and choose eugenics right who it is a slippery slope I for agree. sure and but I think, I think we're already on it well, yeah, that that's probably very true as well. That that uh, we're, I mean, you're familiar with the organization in Alberta that it's assisted. Uh, forget the acronym, but it's assisted death. Oh, I've never heard of it. I didn't yeah. know that you can was sign doing up for it right now. Wow. So if they you you sign, you have to be cognizant yourself. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. And you can sign the paper, and when it gets to that point where you know, and the doctors know that it's the last hours. I'm not sure what the criteria exactly is. Yeah. But then they'll give you an extra shot of whatever wow. morphine, just overdose you, yep. and off you go. The trick Very with that peaceful. though is that sort that's of thing, here now. Okay, that sort of thing's based on rights. When you start asking yourself, like, at what point in time are we giving, you know, the choice to kill someone to a doctor or a family member? We'd have to change what our rights are as people in our country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And arguably, outside of ego, rights are the only thing worth going to war for as a nation. So it's a pretty yeah. big thing when you start talking about losing your rights as an individual, as to, to choose your own life. Exactly. Keep your own life. Yeah. 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 So that's 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 a big speed bump, I'd say, to go over in, sure. in that argument. So Joe Joe Rogan does this whole bit uh, um, about, and this just get back to your point about that if you you know crop dusted the the Middle East with uh, uh, pot smoke, that uh, the world would look very very different, right? Um, they tried it with LSD after the Second World War. Did they? <laughs> a village? In oh, they just got them all, oh, put man, it in the water source, and let everyone. Oh, tra- some of them. 
did some pretty nasty stuff. Wow. But uh, what, what in, and I know this is just hypothetical, but what in your mind would the world look like should everyone, you know, do a couple journeys and, and uh, you know, take a, a Donald Trump or, um, yeah. you know, the, 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 the tyrants in the Middle East and in, in uh, Korea that, that are torturing people left, right, and center. Well, I dream of taking Hillary Clinton and Trump and doing MDMA therapy with them together. <laughs> How much fun would that, that be? Would be? Or so, scary. Yeah. Or yeah. scary would I it don't be? Know. Yeah. Do you want to know what's inside their minds? They're heads have all that stuff well it's just all the out. love though <laughs> well, the bigger part though is like you're saying it's the the setting right yeah you can't just give people any sort of drug and think that they're going to come out good if the settings like and the dose, set dose they the have water to be in the right just place. let everyone yeah. do it donald trump will just build yeah. a wall around the pink elephants yeah that's <laughs> all that you're going to get from that i can't see it any well no no i do think that if psychedelics we can't go back to the 60s we can't go back to where we just release it on the streets. Yeah. That's what happened. And then the government looked at it and went, this is crazy. Yeah. Because stupid things were happening. And it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, however, that said, the reason, one of the reasons I believe they really shut it down is because the people were rebelling against the war. Yeah. And so it's like, we're not going to war for you. This is crazy. We see what this world is. They started to see the metaphysical vibrational reality yeah. and going, this war is destroying other beings that are just wanting to survive like us. It's just a financially based exactly. decision. Exactly. So yeah. the government had to shut down the rebellion. Yeah. But you can't just release, I mean, these are powerful medicines. Yeah. Like the shamanistic respect that they have, the, the good shamans for ayahuasca, for example, they treat this stuff like really, really respectfully. And they don't just let anybody take it. Now, there's charlatans even in this ayahuasca world. So if you're going to go to Peru, make sure you know who you're sitting with. There's There's some some scary stories about abuse with some of the ayahuasca ceremonies. I don't know if you ever, Abby Martin, I think, was on Joe Rogan talking about getting molested at a ayahuasca ceremony. There's some real charlatans But like with Like like anything, though, you should probably take it seriously. Know who you're sitting with. Get a personal referral from somebody who's sat with them. Yeah. Like, it, don't just go online and look for ayahuasca Peru and look for the cheapest option. Yeah. It's it's scary. I actually just wrote that down because I wanted to ask you, how would somebody go about, uh, if they wanted to go on a journey, uh, whether uh, wherever they look for that journey, what, what are the things they should be doing and asking and uh, expecting? Never sit with somebody with a powerful medicine like this that you don't know a lot about. Okay. They've got to know that they they can hold the space, that something goes not wrong, but dark, yeah. that they know how to hold that space for you. Yeah. Um, and that personal referral, you know, they, somebody that just rides into town and says, I'm holding an ayahuasca circle, come join us, it's 200 bucks. Know who it is, because yeah. there's some good guys that do that, and there's some bad ones. Wow. Um, and it's a being offered right now in Calgary. Yeah. Like it's probably every other weekend, there's a, there's a journey happening somewhere yeah. within the vicinity. Wow. So know who you're sitting with. Is that that true for the whole group or just the the person? So ayahuasca is typically mm-hmm. done in a group, or do you really just want to know the leader more than the energy anything? of the group does affect it? But yeah. there's often no way you can control that. Yeah, like I've sat with the circle with people I didn't know, and it was a beautiful experience. Yeah. Do you feel that tobacco is required with the the ayahuasca ceremony? Uh, <laughs> tobacco? Yeah, they I've burn tobacco and blow mm-hmm. it in your face. Well, apparently, it's supposed to. There's some receptor. It's supposed to heighten. Tobacco know, has been known and. I have good friends that use tobacco all the time for ceremony, and it's a powerful cleanser mm. of our body, bodily cells. Have you heard of rapé? Rapé no. ceremonies, it's a, a snuff based on tobacco. They blow up your nose. 
And it's a powerful, beautiful medicine. Hmm. It's even legal. It's not not something the government will shut down. Yeah. Um, because it's just tobacco based. But it's jungle tobacco yeah. that they order straight out of the Amazon. And it's rolled up, just the leaves of tobacco that's been dried. And you're not getting all the chemicals and the filters and all the crap they put in cigarettes and stuff up here. Yeah. So it's way healthier. It's not as addictive from what I understand. Yeah. Uh, one of the traditions in ayahuasca is one of the cleansers they do for some people is they give them as much tobacco as they can stuff in their fist and they put it into a tea and they have to drink this stuff and you purge out of every orifice in your yeah, body. I was <laughs> just gonna say, I've just heard rumors nasty. of people shitting themselves on yeah. ayahuasca. Like, that too, yeah. Yeah. So it's not an, it's not a fun drug. Like this whole ceremony, <laughs> it's hard there's work. A, there's a purpose uh, yeah, for doing it. It's that's not, why it's not a street drug. Like yeah. it's it's not something you just mess around with and everybody hey, let's drop some ayahuasca. Yeah. Because it's gonna get real. <laughs> Get scary. I had never yeah. heard that about tobacco. I know that old tobacco uh, is much different. That there's, you know, um, uh, what's it called? What's in tobacco? Tobacco. No, no, no. The um, paper. Not the tar. <laughs> the nicotine. Holy yes. Dinah. Maybe my brain's shutting down. The the nicotine is actually quite beneficial. It it brings in creativity and relaxation. And, mm-hmm. and I used to smoke. I remember that first smoke. There's a lot morning. of people that chew nicotine gum that have zero addiction issues. They just I've do it for too. like a, who was it? Stephen King was talking about chewing nicotine gum to help him. Right. To help them, right. Yeah. Right. Just that creativity. Um, it's probably the same thing with those older tobaccos, like even the, the hookah tobaccos that they get nowadays that are hmm. just cleaner. Um, have you ever smoked tobacco? a natural tobacco cigarette? I, I don't. I do it. It's, it's amazing. Oh, I hate it so much. <laughs> I, that's all I've known. Like, I've never, I don't know if I've ever smoked an actual cigarette. I've took a puff on a couple, but never smoked a whole one. Yeah. But I've got a pipe and I use this tobacco for, for ceremony stuff, and it's. To me, it's beautiful because it's so natural and raw. So what didn't but you like about it? It tastes like burning horse shit. It's really strong. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's strong. I have uh, I used to smoke drum uh, and roll your own. Okay. Uh, it's actually a pipe tobacco. It's like candy tobacco. It's it's very, <laughs> very flavor. strong. It's very yeah. thick. Lots of flavor to it. Oh, yeah. um, uh, and it's super, super tasty. I, I liked it. So is it similar? Or no. You talk about? God, no, this no, is like way. dirt. Yeah. 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 Like literally take the smell of horse shit yeah. and then take the smell of Burn something burning. <laughs> That's honestly what I felt like when I was smoking it. But I also oh, wow. used to smoke regular cigarettes. So it was like a comparative, like yeah. what I'm used to. But. Yeah. And it's thick. I find it's really thick. It's really strong. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Higher higher nicotine content. Wow. That'd be cool. More yeah, like knowing it was more healthy, I smoked regular cigarettes. Even having access to natural, I was just like, I can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> Not fun. Did, did you smoke for a long time? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. I was a weird one, though. Like, I, I don't have addiction issues with anything. And I literally, my hardest part about quitting smoking was the social aspect of being, everyone else was doing it. Yeah, like, oh, it's smoke break time. Either yeah. you quit working. Like, if you want to stop working, you got to go smoke. Yeah. You can't just go stand there, yeah. which was weird when you think about it now. Yeah. Hmm. Or just go into a bar or a show or something like that, and it's boring. Smoking, yeah, yeah, I'm bored. I'll smoke. That's something to do. Huh. Yeah. My yeah. wife is like that. Uh, when uh, I met her, I, I wasn't smoking, but I, I started quickly after again. And it was kind of, I had quit for a little while, met my wife. And uh, she could have a cigarette or five, didn't matter, and then just shut it off. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, like right now, if I was to go outside and have a cigarette, I would probably be a full-time smoker again. Like mm. that's that's the, a trigger, yeah. the trigger for me. Like I, there's nothing I dislike mm. about it. It feels good. It tastes good. Everything about it I like. So if I do it, I'm, I, I'm, back. I'm back on yeah. it. Uh, wow. Where she, she's just not like that at all. I used to yeah. say that she could probably do meth 
and not get addicted to it. <laughs> not that I would encourage her to do that, but she just has that person. Well, that's one of those interesting rumors about drugs. I'm sure you're aware. You're probably aware, too. Uh, most addictive drugs are not that addictive. Uh, there are lots of people that do heroin just as a social drug. Yeah. Um, cocaine, obviously. There's tons of people that do that as for fun. And acid, yeah. Like, uh, like what do they say? It's, it's one of the misconceptions. Like, no one's ever died purely from doing a- no. acid. Actions um, while they're on it, but never from the drug. Yeah, and I, I there was that one uh, <clears throat> example back many many years ago where a group of people accidentally just massively dosed themselves with acid, like the most that anyone's ever recorded. And they actually like followed them around for twenty years after to see what the side right. effects were. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, aside from just be disappearing for twenty four hours, they were totally fine. Mm-hmm. Well, the story I heard was that uh, they had done what they thought was a line of cocaine. But it, it was, was a line of acid. It was a line of acid. Oh my so it was gosh. like 17,000 hits each or something like that. Yeah. And so the guy that was selling it to them realized what they had done, that he had mixed them up or whatever, the powders, yeah. and that these people had done massive. And he called the hospital or took them to the hospital or something. Right away. Right away. And he's like, and the doctor's like, well, let's see. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no Human medical experiment. Bi- <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> backup well, to say. Well, they killed an elephant with it one time. Oh, really? Massive, massive I did amounts. hear about that, too. It was horrific yeah. death. Yeah. Wasn't the original, yeah. like, the bicycle day incident, wasn't that, like, a massive dose of LSD? That no, it wasn't. It fell on his skin. Oh, okay. I thought... And then he went, well, no, I may have that wrong. He went back and took a, a dose. But he had no idea what the doses yeah, were. Yeah, I, rec- I, I, re- I think I recall, like, the initial one he took through his skin, and I thought the bicycle day one was, like, he took, like, he was like, oh, it's no big deal. I'll take like, you know, like five grams acid, you of hardly acid. Take anything. <laughs> yeah, wow. It's yeah. micrograms that you need. With yeah. That. yeah. That's a big one right now, too, is um, they heard or someone was telling me or I heard somewhere that um, Silicon Valley, the tech side of Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. is where it is because of people microdosing. Absolutely. Psilocybin. Steve Jobs. The mouse was invented on acid. Yeah. The graphic user interface was invented on acid. That's crazy. Like our world is where it is because of LST. Yeah. Yeah. And like and everybody <laughs> in uh, in Silicon Valley is all dosing every day uh, or for weeks on end and yep. then taking breaks. I think with LSD that the effectiveness sort of wears off after a while that you have to up the dosage to feel it. Is that correct? Um, well, psilocybin too, if you take it day after day, it, you, you start to build up resistance. Okay. Um, but yeah, they, they did a study actually back to that point. They, they got 20 people together and said... We need somebody in fairly high positions that have an engineering, science, some kind of mathematical problem that they can't solve. Yeah. And they brought them all in together, gave them like a moderate dose, 100 micrograms of LSD. Yeah. And 18 of the 20 solved their problem. Wow. Because <laughs> it just allows your brain to connect in ways that it normally has a hard time doing. Wow. Just That's thinking powerful. outside of the box, yep. basically. Is well, all it's it like, does. you know, that whole thing of like, I'm going to go to bed and look at this again in the morning with fresh eyes. You're just mm-hmm. changing your perspective. It's just, it's nice yep. to have that literally like, it's almost like an on off switch of like, okay, let's have a fresh perspective it's now. 30 minutes later, you have a new perspective on yeah. life. Wow. <laughs> and it's, well, it's yeah. amazing though, how much your perspective changes everything in your life. Mm-hmm. Like your motivations, your priorities, just how, just everything, how you treat people, how you treat mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. It's literally yeah. just perspective. The uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about because you're you're well versed in in scripture is that uh, what are the links that you see in uh, the Bible uh, to to what we're talking about to psychedelics to the the benefits or is there any uh, anything that you've seen in there where you went oh this is what this scripture meant 
I think the biggest one that came to me was um, that was in a journey one time. And I was having a hard time really entering the medicine. It was a variety of set setting issues that were happening. <laughs> but I finally got alone and I just was really searching for kind of in the crossroads. Like, what is this Jesus thing doing this medicine? Show me what the truth is. Like, mm-hmm. what is the truth of Jesus? And um, the answer just kept coming back to me. It's within you. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to be searching for, like, the biblical narrative of, I need to get my answers from outside of myself as a download from, A, the pastor, or B, you know, Jesus directly, that I have been given the answers I need within me. Yeah. And um, it was a, just a, a real transformational moment that Jesus is a very powerful historical figure. Yeah. But I don't believe in all the things I was taught is that if I say this prayer when I'm four years old, now I've changed my eternal destiny. Like the whole concept of hell, I believe, is a pre-construed idea to scare people into churches. Yeah, um, It's not really helping. And so understanding those kinds of things has really impacted my view of Scripture, where I'm actually finally coming back to some of those Scriptures with new eyes. Like the verse I mentioned before, I and the Father are one, help them to see that we are all one. Right. That changes your whole view of relationships yeah. about everything in, in your place in this world. Is that we're just we're actually one really literally mm-hmm. vibration happening with different manifestations. And we need to we need to see life differently. Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about um um hell at length uh, with psychology. And so uh, I believe he's a Christian as well. He talks a lot about the Bible and has a different view on the Bible, and I think. And he's not as afraid to swear either. He's not afraid. To and swear he's done either. psychedelics. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Doc, Dr. Peterson has Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but he talks about like uh, if if uh, heaven or God can be within you, then hell or the devil can be within you too. And he truly believes that that they are both inside you all the time. And he goes, uh, if you don't believe me, go look in the eyes of someone living on the streets. He goes, that's hell. Like the the, the heroin addict that, that can't get out of there, mm-hmm. or the the person that's uh, maybe a pedophile or a rapist. Mm-hmm. That 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 there's hell inside of them so much so that you have a tough time even looking them in the eyes for the mm-hmm. fear of what you're actually going to see, and that that all of that is inside of us as well. We have this monster inside of us being hell mm-hmm. or the devil that we're always trying to hold back and, and uh, subdue so that the better us can come out. Mm-hmm. Um, that So I'm guessing, I guess what I'm asking is that within the, uh, the medicine, have you seen it go on either side of that? That, you know, the monster coming out in somebody? Oh, or, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't believe in bad trips. I think there's dark trips that yeah. can, to where you can probably learn the most from. Yeah. If they are processed properly. Yeah. How um, many people go to therapy? Because obviously therapists right now can't use these, but mm-hmm. you know, people will do a trip and then uh, use a therapist afterwards. Talk about what they That's say. becoming really common. Yeah. I highly recommend that. Yeah. If I'm working with somebody. Because I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be. Yeah. But if I have helped someone work through a, a psychedelic process, to go talk to your psychologist, especially, well... Make sure they're not judgmental about psychedelics or it can yeah. turn on you. Yeah. wasn't I could have sworn I heard recently uh, there's a process before we had the drug laws we do now where uh, your psychologist would dope you up on something mm-hmm. and then you would talk to them. Uh, I could have sworn it was morphine. But although a psychedelic does seem like it would be more 
Throughout well, the, they were using MDMA, LSD, mushrooms, like throughout in the California, 50s throughout 60s. the 50s, 60s. They were doing yeah. a ton of research with it. Which makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, it lowers your whole fight, flight, or freeze, raises your emotions. So that's what it's doing in your brain and body. So when you're sitting doing talk therapy, your natural reaction to fight, flight, or freeze to whatever situation is pretty much gone. And your emotional ability to process and talk and be open about what you're dealing with all of a sudden, you can actually process stuff and talk about it. Yeah. And and in fact, I knew somebody that actually took MDMA, didn't tell her psychologist, and went to therapy on, on ecstasy. Uh, <laughs> so like, that was wow, a, we've had a really good session. She's like, yeah. I can imagine the, uh, the empathy <laughs> you're talking about. It's a huge factor, too, of being able to be empathetic and have someone walk you through that situation, mm-hmm. too. Like A lot of problems that come from most relationships between anyone is not seeing the other person's side or not caring mm-hmm. about the other person's side. Yeah, for sure, yeah. And really, if you can understand that, you've conquered half the problem. Yeah. But I think that's the biggest problem that we have as human beings right now is just not wanting to look at the other side, to not seeing that maybe that person didn't get what you got or maybe they mm-hmm. don't have the ability to understand it yet. And, you know, we see that in Scripture all the time. You probably remember growing up, you read Scripture all the time, you know, like, I don't even know what this means. And you move on, and then five years later, you read it again, like, oh, there it is. Yeah. And so everybody's at a different point of their journey in their life. And uh, to judge somebody because they didn't know something, it's like getting mad at a two-year-old because they didn't know math yet. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to know it yet. Like, it, yeah. you'll get the information at the right time if you're open yeah. to that information. Yeah, and that's hard once you've been, <laughs> once you've had your eyes open to certain things like psychedelics. Yeah, where you go, I see your problem. I could totally help you. Yeah, and they're just like, no, that's wrong. Well, it'd be the same. Stuck. It'd be the same with a, a psychologist or exactly. a psychiatrist. Is they like, see oh, their problem. I see that crazy and that guy, and I wish I had him in my office because yeah. I could make this totally. better, right? Or a dietitian even. All they have to do is start eating the right food. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, we were talking about that earlier on how people are, uh, sorry, psychologists are getting more open to um, different therapies. There's mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Kelly Brogan in uh, New York, for instance, where she doesn't do any um, um, therapy with. Um, uh, psychedelics, but she she doesn't use any uh, other medicines either. That it's a hundred percent food, uh, sunlight, exercise, just the holistic stuff. Just the holistic yeah. stuff, and she's seeing massive results. And I think she pads mm-hmm. her numbers a little bit, but uh, either way, she's mm-hmm. getting results. So if it works with one person, mm-hmm. it's going to work with others, um, and that's uh, yeah. way better than you know. I think. A lifetime of an antipsychotic. I just I don't see the benefits of someone doing that for years and years on end. I well, we're looking at like over ten percent of our populations on some kind of antidepressants. I heard in the states it's over forty. Really? Yeah. That uh, the number one selling prescription in the U.S. is an antipsychotic. The number one. Wow. So uh, it's that one we just mentioned, the one that boosts up. Uh, the antidepressants, you the, meant uh, Abilify. Uh, yeah, Abilify. Abilify. Yeah. So, yes. like forty percent of uh, the population is on something like Abilify. Well, and in the U.S., to so many doctors get kickbacks. I mean, whether it's free lunches every day or it's some kind of retreat in the Bahamas that they yeah. go to, like, there's so much money being spent on marketing to like. They take the marketing dollars that you see on TV for all these drugs and you multiply it exponentially for what they're marketing directly to doctors to prescribe these pills. Yeah. And so antipsychotics and psychedelics are one of their, 
antidepressants are one of the biggest ones that they market. Yeah. Because there's so much money in it. Well, so there's going to be a kickback if people start waking up. Yeah. They're not going to like it. I know we had the same thing in Canada to some degree. It's kind of that like backdoor multiple wishy-washy. I had one doctor who wanted me to change my prescription uh, because by increasing the dose, she could technically be considered the prescribing p- for, uh, physician and therefore take the credits on that medication prescribed. Wow. So nothing to do with you? Ooh. Nothing to do with me, no. Just to do with her points? Yeah. It was a medication that I'm pretty sure would have had no side effects of increasing it, so I could see where she's coming from, and I'm more than likely she would have just downed it back to its original dosage, but would have had the credit of being the prescribing physician in both cases. Wow. That's, that, that's scary. Yeah, that really is. It's motivation like to be aware of what's happening. I don't see all the doctors as bad, but many of them are just driven by the dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, considering they leave med school and probably for the first 10 years of their practice, their biggest concern mm-hmm. is how they're going to pay off loans. that student loan. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden they have a cash cow if they just give a billify to a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pharmaceutical companies are going to give them their vacation properties, yep. their maybe a new car. Well, when you think about who becomes a doctor, it's not like a lot of people want to be doctors. It's just when you do really well in school, you're supposed to become a doctor. Yeah. Oh, you're right. super good at biology, so maybe be yeah. a doctor. Oh, it's amazing how many people, like how many doctors you meet who have zero empathy and just could not care less about other people, but they obviously did really well Especially in school. Especially specialists. Yeah. 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 I was just recently at a podiatrist. I've got a, it's called, a, we think it's a Morton's neuroma. And it just felt like, uh, you know, the, it was the, ticker tape coming out he's like oh you just do this this and this and there you go and I'm like didn't even listen to your story he he didn't really um yeah. he took a couple measurements he poked around a little bit and i think that was all for show and then just said oh you spend 450 bucks so if you go and talk to the lady she'll fit you for an orthotic and uh we'll, we'll send you for an ultrasound just to make sure that we're on wow. the right path and uh but, you know, he's just, he's selling, and it's not a prescription even, it's, yeah. it's, uh, but they have to find something to sell because making $300,000 yeah. a year as a, a, a specialist or a dentist or whatever, I guess, isn't good enough. They're always trying to increase that. In all fairness, though, line. like going back to the original point I was making about different cultures of people. If you're a doctor and you're literally going, stop eating Big Macs and you don't need drugs and you know that they're not going to do that. Yeah. What, why do you care? Well, if you here's your magic, here's minutes, your magic pair yeah. uh, pill, I should say. But if you had set up your appointments for more than five or seven minutes that they allowed them, you could work on that um, changing but if them like, over. You know, nine out of ten people that come in don't care enough about their own health to do anything about it, and they just want that whatever magic pill you're going to give them at the end, why bother, right? It means more money for you and they don't care, so. I don't know. I guess I don't think that way because I would be the opposite. <laughs> like, you know, uh, I've got a buddy that he's a chiropractor and he could be banging out appointments every seven or eight minutes uh, and he does it for the same price as everyone else, but his appointments are 40 minutes long. I think chiropractors wow. are different though, right? That's not like actual into like the, 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 the mainstream of medicine. It's very, it's different from an educational standpoint, yeah. but from a financial standpoint, it's the same. Thing. But as a patient of a chiropractor, you're going there because you care, not because it's you're the lowest common the denominator. People, cares is yeah, what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So because it's choosing to go, not because you have to go. To yeah, the it's uh, yeah. my arm's falling off. Better go to the doctor. It's like no, I think my arm might fall off. I want to take care of this before it happens. I'm going to go see my chiropractor <laughs> type of mentality. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you think about I like think it's both sides because uh, my wife works for a company that uh, does dietary stuff and people will come until their benefits run out. They're like, yeah, I'm not coming yeah. back anymore. <laughs> like, now I have to pay? Uh, this is, your, this is your, your life. This is yeah. like 
your 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 medicine, your food. That's the, and they're like, no, no, no. The government's done paying for it or my benefit, so I'm not going to do it. Well, money's motivation, right? Hundred percent. Like think about think about the cooking industry. Like the cooking industry, especially in Canada, pays garbage. Yeah. That's why if you're a cook, it's probably because you couldn't get a better job because it pays minimum wage. Or you're really passionate and you just don't care and you're willing to live on whatever. Exactly, and that's sort of the way I see medicine. There's some very passionate doctors that got into it because they really do care about people. They care about medicine, and there's some very passionate chefs out there who really do care about mm-hmm. the food but i'm not going to bank that that's the common no 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 it's unfortunate well you know what guys this has been uh, just over two hours that yeah. we've been on here now that we can't go see any doctors or eat at any restaurants yeah and uh, <laughs> all my friends that are police officers are probably sitting in the front yard right now going are you guys doing anything um so yes. you know what david thank it's you so much <laughs> yeah it's over we're all sober yeah. thank you so much for coming out and and explain this to us we want to fun. have you back for sure and yeah. uh, i think you got a few friends that uh, we would benefit from having yeah. on the air Absolutely. as well so uh as as uh, good or bad as that app was i'm so glad you were yeah. on it and okay. i was on it so again thank you so very very yeah. much yeah, thanks for coming and uh this is mark and chad and david with uh, i want to know and now we know something about psychedelics now we know enjoy the journey <laughs>